Everybody, happy Friday to all of you. Good morning this morning. Good morning this morning. Good morning this morning. Why? Good morning this morning, everybody. Fun to stay up late. Get my coffee out here. My Allegro cold brew coffee, people. Although this time I left it out and it's warm, which is not cool. Of course it's not cool, because it's not cool. So, yeah, there you go. There you have it. There you are. Happy Friday and happy birthday to my baby Natalie, who just turns 11 today. So... Uh, here's to Natalie Allman and her uh, her little little victory. Gave her uh, eleven ro- uh, eleven roses today and one to grow on is what I did. That 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 that, that was my little gig for her uh, that she's waking up to this morning. So happy birthday to Natalie and uh, way to go, baby! Happy birthday also to my friend uh, Tammy Scott. As she is with Survival Flight and lover, and she's just. Wonderful and a great friend and so, and a listener to the show. So happy birthday to her, too. She uh, actually uh, shares a birthday with, with Natalie, which is kind of uh, very cool. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. mm. 
my headphones are kind of popping off here. Back and forth. Hang on, what's going on? I got a uh... got these headphones, and they are awesome, but they are um, kind of uh, they're, they're they are in and out. I don't know what they're just kind of. It's kind of like every once in a while, if I turn my head or something, you know, it's a, it's a typical damn thing. It's all about technology. Uh, by the way, people, I want to let you know that uh, that speaking of technology, uh, Ryan has informed me that the uh, app they they have rebooted the app. They've read there was something wrong with the app, uh, and they rebooted the thing, and so it ought to be back in shape. With very soon now, so it, it should be like uh, any 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 day now that the uh, app should be uh, back in order. So apparently there apparently were problems with the app. I guess they finally kind of admitted that before it was like oh it must be the phones it must be this, but they finally admitted it. So uh, that's uh, that's that's the deal with the app. So those of you who have been concerned about it and have been uh, you know. A, a problematic uh, and and have been uh, actually sometimes people were were even giving up on the on the app and so those of you who have done that uh, well I got news for you the the world is going to get much better for you in uh, in very little time so good morning this morning everybody and it um, th- this thing that's going on with this, this protecting Mueller kind of thing that they want to have a bill these guys this this is about the fifth time. That the Never Trump crew, the Jeff Flakes of the world or whatever, uh, that the Never Trump crew has continued to do and – the, and the Democrats too because they work in concert with the Democrats almost always. And they, they will say that they need to pass a bill to guarantee we protect Mueller and everything else. And then Jeff Flake says he's going to block all the confirmations for the judges because if there's not some bill to protect Jeff Flakes. And it really is, Joe, just such bull crap that these guys pull every single time. They create this illusion that something's going to happen to Bob Mueller, and, and it happens all the time. Well, and, and every time Trump makes a move, they wind up wagging their fingers and saying, well, something better not happen to Bob Mueller. And, and Trump's like, I'm not doing anything to Bob Mueller. The hell off my back. Well, we need to protect Bob Mueller at all costs. The integ- it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like this, just the, just add water and you're a hero method of, of, of governance. And Jeff Flake is uh, falling into that. So we're going to follow up on that. And also we, uh, Jim Tal is going to be joining us at about 8.30. I'm sorry, 7.30. And then uh, Doug Giles is at 8.30. He might, may or may not be hunting. A lot of folks have been out uh, over the past uh, week or so hunting. And uh, specifically, I was talking to some folks who were duck hunting yesterday and were able to grab a couple duck uh, and a few ducks and a few geese. And boom, you're off to the races. So you're going to be having a, having a good time with that. Also, we're going to uh, follow up on what's going on in Florida, and we have the the winner of the who was first to blame Trump for the shooting in a Thousand Oaks in Thousand Oaks, California, and the and the veterans. You knew it was coming. It, it came actually a lot later than I thought it was going to come. And so uh, at least now it seems that we are uh, going to be in a situation where uh, 
it looks to be that that uh, that Cuomo was the first one. He's the winner of the uh, of all of of the of the award. I thought it would come sooner, and I thought pretty much everybody would be doing it. And at the same time, uh, it turns out that they. Uh, that it was only Cuomo so far, but it, it, believe me, it'll catch on. I, I figured that they were going to somehow tie it to the VA, and then somehow tie it to President Trump, and then they were going to be off to the races on that. Also, we have uh, the latest this morning about what's going on down in Florida, and I got to tell you, th- there's something about what happened in Florida regarding some of the the revotes that that are going on. For instance. People who uh, they, they call it overvoting or undervoting, and it it's kind of interesting because I'm I'm trying to figure out why, for instance, uh, th- there is such a thing as overvoting and undervoting, and I'll I'll tell you it's it's very interesting because right now they are recounting the votes in the Tim's in the uh, Rick Scott race with Nelson. They're recounting votes there. The other folks are refusing to basically say that DeSantis is the is the is the winner in Florida. He clearly is the winner, and yet the networks refuse to announce DeSantis as the winner. Both ABC and NBC basically just said we're we're not we're not going to do it, even though clearly News coming in tonight on the recount in Florida, a victory. Election workers have just finished a machine recount of ballots. Republican candidate for Senate Rick Scott, who is Florida's governor, leads now by fewer than 13,000 votes over the Democratic incumbent Senator Bill Nelson. By the way, they're never going to they're never going to get those votes unless they fake them and make them up. And they've already been caught trying to do it with some of these uh, do over ballots that they were giving people after the vote. So but 13,000, I mean, you have to have. You almost have to have some massive, massive fraud, and I'm not. I'm not quite sure they're going to be able to. They're going to. They're not going to be able to find thirteen thousand votes. I mean, you'd have to. They'd have to have some kind of ballot backroom boiler operation, and and that's not beyond the realm of comprehension. I'll tell that you that. So slim, it is now automatically triggered a hand recount. There is late word this evening: the Florida Senate race is headed to a manual recount. The votes will now be counted. But again, they're, they're refusing to name DeSantis as the governor. He clearly is the governor and, and will be the governor, but they refuse to, to, to say that, that he is. And it's, uh, it's driving me crazy trying to get these guys to, to, to pull the trigger on this. But yeah, they'll just keep talking about this by race. And the procedure required by state law because of how close the margin is between Rick Scott and yeah. Bill Nelson. There's a federal judge no in Tallahassee way. today slammed Florida's election process, saying we have been the laughing stock of the world. Oh, you think? He denied a request to extend the deadline for submitting recount results. In the Senate race, Republican Rick Scott leads <laughs> Democrat Bill Nelson, but the margin is so close a hand recount was ordered. It appears the machine recount will <laughs> settle the governor's race. Republican yeah. Ron DeSantis leads Democrat Andrew Gillum. Neither they they won't say that DeSantis won, and he, he clearly did win. The election is over. DeSantis is governor, and as of this morning, now I I, I might have uh, missed it. I mean, I, I scoured the earth for for news about this. I might have missed it, uh, but Gillum has yet to uh, what do you call that? Reconcede 
because he already conceded once and then took back his conceding and then came back uh, now, lost again, let's put it that way, and uh, he is... uh, he has refused to go ahead and and, uh, and say that he has lost the race. And and by the way, this is all being, of course, turned into a race issue. And in Georgia, for instance, they have a situation where they're 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 claiming somehow Stacey Adams. They had civil rights protests and things like that over the Georgia race. And so this has become. I mean, these people now just are refusing to. Uh, to, to even try to hide the fact that they are just playing the race card and 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 they know that it's not true. They know there's no racism involved. But now if you're black, you can you can claim somehow that there's some kind of racial component to it. The one black candidate that hasn't done that yet is a Republican named Mia Love, although she is also contesting uh the results of her race. She's a Republican who basically didn't even attempt to help President Trump. These people who all tried to uh, pretend they didn't know President Trump in some way, shape, or form all lost. Mia Love, who was once a promising black Republican, uh, just grew into one of these namby-pamby Republicans like all the rest of the Republicrats out there, uh, the Paul Ryans of the world, and, and thought that she could make her way in Utah, you know, following in the footsteps of that pansy Mitt Romney by pretending she didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump, and she wound up losing her congressional race. She's actually uh, – it was a very close race, though, and she is making some moves there to attempt to get the – a recount of sorts or to, another look at the election, but she's not using the race card just yet. So she's the one black candidate who isn't pretending that uh, they lost only because of race. But the one thing about Florida – that I just don't understand because when I was in in the voting booth, when I was in the polling place uh, where I was, the one woman who put the the handwritten I did I did a hand ballot as well. I didn't do the machine ballots. One woman who did the hand ballots, she entered. You know, she let the thing go into the thing, which looks really like a shredder to me. But oh well, it went into the thing, and it beeped. And it beeped because apparently she either left a race open, like she didn't vote in a race, or she may have overvoted or something. But but for whatever reason, she was called back by the attendant of the, of the machine that she put the ballot into. And so she had to kind of do an extra button push or signature or of some sort that said it was okay to go ahead and proceed with, with the entrance of the ballot. So it looks to me like she might have left one race empty, like she didn't vote in one race. Uh, that, that's at least what I, what I thought happened. But she was called back by the poll worker and, and was and – because I was standing right behind her. I was next in line to put my ballot in there. She was called back by the poll worker and said, okay – We've noticed this about your ballot. I can't remember what it was. I think she might have left something undone or un, unvoted for. And they said, this is the deal. You have done this. We've noticed it. Are you going to willing to proceed with your vote anyway? And she said yes. 
and then walked away and either and signed something or pushed some button or something. But it was she was asked first. So the situation in Florida is confusing to me from one standpoint. Here, let me wipe off my my damn readers because I, I saved this because I, I uh, saved it on my phone. So I can't read it on the computer. I could have saved it on the computer, but I didn't have a computer with me. Because of the... Just read it, Jamie. Okay, I will. So there's a canvassing board that's in place, and the canvassing boards in the state's 67 counties, they're uh, given now three days to pour over thousands of ballots that were rejected by machines because of overvotes. A voter appears to have chosen more than one candidate in a race or undervotes in which a voter appears to have skipped a race altogether. So now apparently these were rejected by the machines in Florida, but but they weren't rejected by machines here in Missouri. I mean, I was standing right behind a person who clearly either overvoted or undervoted, and nothing happened to that. It was not rejected. She just went ahead, was asked whether or not she wanted to continue, and they did. With the help of state guidelines, the canvassing boards, which are allowed to enlist the help of volunteers, great. Can't wait to see who the volunteers are. We'll try to determine how these voters intended to vote. So how is it that you're going to be able to take a ballot that basically is an empty ballot, one that one that did not determine a race, right? So let's just say, and I'll give you an example, but you, you probably don't need one. But let's just say in this case, this woman who was right in front of me, let's just say in this case, this woman who was right in front of me, didn't vote in the U.S. Senate race. Let's pretend that she didn't vote in the McCaskill-Hawley race. Voted in every other race, but left the McCaskill-Hawley race empty. In Missouri, as far as I know, because I was right behind her, they'll flag that and say, did you know you didn't vote in this one race? She would say, and they would ask the person, are you still okay with this? And she was asked, and she said yes. But in Florida... There are state guidelines and volunteers who then try to determine how the voters intended to vote. So so are they going to call the voter? Are they going to contact the voter? Or are they going to just kind of make it up as to how they may have intended to vote? So let's say in the situation regarding the DeSantis or, or the Rick Scott and the Nelson race. Let's say some of the voters left that blank, voted in everything else except for the 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 Rick Scott and Nelson race. How did that now they're going to say how did you intend to vote or are they going to say we think based on their previous votes. Let's say somebody voted all Republican in the other races. Will they say, well, then they must have wanted to vote for Rick Scott or if they voted all Democrat or how are they going to determine this in 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 Florida? Because uh, there, there might have been a possibility this person voted all Republican, but let's say uh, was going to vote for Nelson in the Senate. 
or they they might have been in a situation where they uh, were, were voting all Democrat and wanted to vote for Scott in the U.S. Senate. But now it's left up to a canvassing board and volunteers to determine how the voters intended to vote. And for me, that's, again, an example of just how screwed up some of these state elections are. Like in Missouri, we do it one way, and in Florida, they do it another way. Now, do I believe that ultimately they ought to federalize elections, meaning there needs to be some kind of uniform way that everybody votes? I'm not quite sure whether I want to go there at this point with um, with that because I'm not I'm a states rights guy and I, I kind of like the idea of states being sovereign and being able to kind of do things the way they want to do them and 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 work it out their own way. I mean, I think they, I think that is the beauty of our country to a certain degree. And that is the independence of the of 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 the states to determine uh what they want to do and how they want to do it. So I like that idea. But given that we have two different ways that people vote for a U.S. Senate race in Missouri and in Florida, that's a weird thing. That's a problem, especially since they don't do it the way we do. And now it's going to be a team of volunteers trying to determine if somebody left a race open, how they intended to vote. I mean, that just makes it rife for problems. Now, here's the deal. And this is the situation in the Rick Scott and Nelson race. There's no way that there were that many people who left that race blank. There's there's not a chance in hell that more than 13,000 people left a race blank in Florida. I I guess there's a possibility that they they were able they did that. There's a possibility that happened. Uh but but the reality is that there's probably a slim to none chance that that there are that many votes out there that have been kind of left open and the ballots left open and and the people didn't vote. But I do find it kind of odd there and and odd in in this country how so many different states have so many different ways of determining even national elections. So you could say uh, there is a defense for saying that the that the that that in some way, shape, or form, that in a Senate race, for instance, which is a federal race, there ought to be uniformity, and, and I think you can you can get away with that even if you are a federalist, even if you are a states' rights person. I think you could probably get away with making the argument that it, that this country would be much better off if we had some uniformity in all of the ways in which we approach elections, which is how, so you don't get these banana Republic hillbilly ass people in, in Florida, like Brenda Snipes making up their own rules as they go along or following rules that were put together by one party or whatever. You, you don't maybe have that problem if you have some degree of federal uniformity in, in races. And so do I think there ought to be federal uniformity in how they determine who their ag secretary is? Probably not. That's kind of a that's kind of a stretch. But in a U.S. Senate race, where these individuals not only represent ultimately their states, but they also then represent the country as U.S. senators, maybe there is wiggle room for us to 
go into a less federalist form of electioneering and have some uniformity in all the states. I don't know. We'll we'll kind of uh, figure that out, I'm sure, down the line. But but there's no reason why this country ought to be essentially be held up by a bunch of hacks down there in Florida or a bunch of race baiters down there in Georgia. And there's although that's a governor's race, but you know what I'm getting at. There's no reason why a bunch of backwoods corrupt people ought to be determining the direction of this country because right now uh, we don't have a U.S. Senate seat in Florida. Basically, that's, that's going to be set up for January. We don't have a U.S. Senate seat in Florida now uh, because of the shenanigans of the people down there in, uh, in Florida. Meanwhile, on the other side of the uh, country, this California fire thing is just incredible. I mean, they've, they've confirmed, and the latest is they've confirmed that uh, 63 are dead. But we've got 600-plus people missing in California as a result of these fires. 600-plus people missing. And it, it's a big story. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge story. This is a, this is a major disaster. And, and I'm not saying it's not getting, uh, I don't know, I'm not saying it's not getting much coverage, but it doesn't seem to be getting the kind of coverage that you normally would get, let's say, if you had, I don't know, an earthquake or if you had a, if you had a plane crash or whatever, that's a, that's a lot of people. 600 people missing? There's a chance that, that uh, we could have on our hands, ultimately, a... a Father, please help us. These are people driving down a highway right now through fire. And, 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 they're, and they're trying to get through this, uh, on a mountain through this, through this fire. And this is kind of like a video, and I'll put, you, put a link to it for you on there. But this is a video as they're traveling through this mountainside, showing all these cars, um, and and they're finding that most of the bodies have been found in vehicles that are burned out. It's like the what's the name of that movie with uh, with what's it, where where they had this this desolate area out there, and it's the uh, God, my, my, my mind is so blank this morning on this. But it, it, it's, it's like you, you see these videos of these cars and of these homes and everything else burnt out. And, and these, these people are all – these must be the missing people but because the, the, the cars and everything else are incinerated. And so it stands to reason that you can have individuals who are actually just simply ashes in these cars. I even saw a school bus. So I, I mean, I, I don't. Most of the bot, you know, this this uh, town of Paradise, which has about twenty six uh, thousand people in it, is the one that's been hardest hit. And most of the bodies they've already recovered, close to the sixty three, have been found in the homes and cars near Paradise. 
But these are all people. Uh, uh, the the entire town has, of Paradise has been uh, has been leveled. The entire town. Eleven thousand structures, and it far exceeds the two thousand seventeen fire. Yeah, we had a two thousand seventeen fire as well, and you can start to wonder, like, all right, what the hell is going on in California? They still don't know how the fire was caused. This video is 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 horrible. It opened with the people driving through the fire. But what's happening for most people is they are in a situation where they are uh, desperately trying to get out of the fire, but they are in a situation where they are there's there are like traffic jams because these are these are like two lane roads. I've been on them uh, through mountain areas. I, I remember driving to Ojai, California, for that wedding I was telling you about, and uh, driving through there. And these are these are two lane roads. I mean, you're not you're not you're not really going anywhere. Uh, Except on the on this uh, two lane road, so I you know I I just you know in 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 my mind you know the, these people were all just simply trapped trying to get the hell out of there and 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 I don't know whether or not they just didn't have the warning or whether the fires just took a a different direction or what the situation was but man that is uh, really horrible there in in uh, California. And it doesn't seem to be taking on the catastrophic kinds of uh, tones uh, that that it should be here in the U.S. I know you all are watching it closely, but I think sometimes we almost forget that it's going on, and it's just such a such a such a horrible thing. So uh, we continue to pray for our friends there in California. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. What would you do with the money if you didn't have to pay your house payment for two months, especially around the holidays? That's right. No house payment for two months. This is James Hawkins at Golden Oak Lending. Don't let money problems spoil your holidays. You can use the increased value of your home to pay off bills or get cash out. Put two months of house payments in your pocket. Visit GoldenOakLending.com or call 314-567-GOLD. NMLS 114937-111 West Fort Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Call 567-GOLD.
Good morning this morning. Come away with me in the night. Come away with me and I will write you a song. Live from the Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studios, it's Radio Free Almond. Hi, everybody. Good morning this morning. How are you? Good. You know what? I figured that if the uh, if the day light had been a couple more hours yesterday, with it snow would have melted. That snow would have been gone. It'll probably be gone today. And then apparently it's going to be like in the 50s for Thanksgiving, so. Told you. Everything works out well in the end. I love me some Nora Jones, don't you guys? Is Facebook going to kick me off for this sweet song? You probably will. They're horrible people over there. Okay. <laughs> Tell you not to kick me off while calling them horrible people. That's terrible. I'm a horrible person for being so horrible about the horrible people at Facebook. How horrible is that? How horrible can one be to declare someone horrible as you beg them not to kick you off of Facebook for playing a nice song? Did you see the how uh, it's been revealed that Chuck Schumer has been trying to protect Facebook from any kind of uh, criticism because Facebook has been giving him some money and he's been behind the scenes wrangling you know who exposed this? the New York Times (laughs) so that's what's going on there so I told you that I hate to ruin a good song with News, but oh well, it's kind of what I got to do, huh? Oh, congratulations, by the way, to Kelly Peach with her new book, uh, Amazing Grace. It's her second installment of her Elvis series, and she's a friend of mine and good person. It's it was I went down to uh, Blueberry Hill uh, to uh, for her book signing, and her uh, boyfriend Jeff Barnes is kind of like an sings Elvis tunes and stuff. It was really a fun night, and it's her second installment. I'll have to get her on the air maybe next week to uh, come on and talk about uh, her her new book. It was interesting. I kind of expected to see uh, some of my old friends from the radio station because last time her first book came out, everybody was down there and everybody was out, and they weren't there. And she said to me, yeah. You really kind of start to learn who your friends are after a while. People just ditch people and just, you know, ho-hum. They get too important, I guess. You know what I mean? It's how it works sometimes. But anyway, I don't want to turn such a positive thing into a negative. But it's called Amazing Grace. You can find it on Facebook. Kelly Peach, P-E-A-C-H. That's uh, the name of the author. Great event. I ran into an old high school buddy there, too, my buddy Jeff Sporleader. He and I used to fight all the time about politics, and he'd send me these messages and blah, blah, blah. And and we had uh, 
We had a nice little conversation. Our lives have changed significantly since we were bitching and moaning at each other. You know, he with a divorce, me with a job loss, and we just kind of came together and realized that there are a lot more important things in life than just uh, debilitating each other through nasty emails about politics, right? So it's kind of a nice moment, though, I thought. I was, I was really pleased about that development. I, wasn't, I haven't been pleased about his development. He wasn't pleased about my development in terms of our personal lives. But then again, you know, both of us have uh, summarily then bounced back from those things. And so I love it when people ask me how I'm doing. I'm going, great. How are you? Because I am. Because actually there is uh, there is a certain level of satisfaction, although I, you know, it's not been easy for other people too, but, uh, and, and, you know, specifically, you know, my own family and everything else. But, uh, but I will tell you that, that in the end, when it comes to uh, struggling, I've always, I've always, I've always liked the struggle. I've always actually been, uh, been made better by, by the struggle. I've, 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 I'm not saying I've struggled my whole life, but I've, I've always made my own life. I've always, everything I've done, in my opinion, I've earned, obviously, with the help of God and my family and important people in my life. You didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. I know, Barack Obama. Leave me alone. Just for one time. Let me take credit for something. I'm not going to get, hey. You you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. Well, you know what? I did build this, damn it. I did have help. But nobody else made that happen. But me, it wouldn't have happened without I don't know. I'm not I'm not trying to take all the glory, but I will tell you that my whole life, you know, if I when when I was when I was a kid, if I wanted to if, if I needed to if I wanted a McDonald's hamburger or play pinball or go bowling with friends. I had to have the money. I couldn't ask my mom for the money. She wasn't going to give me any money. So if I wanted to do it, I had to make money. So got a paper paper route. Or when I needed gasoline for my car, and when I needed a car, I didn't. I they, nobody was going to buy me a car. Nobody was going to buy fill my gas tank. So, I worked. I worked at Frank and Helen's Pizza as a busboy. Then I worked at uh, at at Telena's. Worked my ass off there. Bought bought a bought a seventy one Impala for one hundred and fifty bucks. Banana yellow for my uncle, and uh, and and drove that and and paid for it and paid for everything. And so I'm I'm used to making things happen for for myself. I'm used to being resourceful. So. Uh, to me, the, the struggling is it makes you makes you a better person. Now I don't I don't I don't really do that. I don't raise my kids that way necessarily. I don't, you know, I I I tend to be a little more of a, a half and half person. I, I want my kids to be resourceful too. But back in the day, you know, uh, my my mom didn't give me money because she didn't have money. You know, I mean. I think she probably would have if she had it, but she didn't have the extra cash, those kinds of things. And so, um, 
when I have the money, I, I will give it to my kids. So I, I, I didn't, I've raised them a little differently than I was raised. Uh, but, but, but my parents didn't tell me to sink or swim. I just kind of did what I thought I had to do, you know? So it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been kind of crazy, but it's been fun. I, I've harkened back to, uh, the, and I'll get to something. I'll get to, I'll get to why I'm here in a second. Please indulge me just for a second here. So I am working on this project with about Sarah Teasdale, the poet, and uh, Sarah Teasdale was a big fan of John Keats, who is uh, what is considered to be a uh, poet of the uh, Romantic era. And John Keats uh, wrote poetry in the early 1800s and through 18-teens and 1820s and then wound up uh, dying of what they called consumption back in the day. And it was usually tuberculosis or whatever. People were dropping like flies back then, both in the United States and Europe. In fact, he went to Europe in hopes of – and he died in Italy – in in hopes of actually – trying to other than that the air and that the other things would actually help him with his problems. Uh, and unfortunately though, he had other people in his family who had problems and he, by helping them, he actually caught the, uh, it was made worse with his uh, disease and everything else. So anyway, he, uh, he romantics believed that, that only through suffering and mayhem, uh, and, and trouble, as well as through education and curiosity, could you be happy? You, you, that you could only be happy through struggle. And I think there's a lot of merit to that. And I think there's, there's a lot to that that, that makes a, a big difference. And it's why I came to a conclusion about Sarah Teasdale that no one else has and that I will ultimately reveal when I complete the project. But uh, she actually visited his grave there and was a big fan of his and, and was, I think, a romantic herself and suffered greatly herself. And so uh, sometimes suffering is good. There's a, there's, a, there's a biblical connection to that, obviously. And, 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 and this is a, a hugely philosophical conversation to be having on a, on a radio, on a radio show. Uh, but, but nonetheless, think about it. It's, it's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said about that. And, and, um, on Keats's gravestone, there is, uh, he, he does not, ha- his name is not on his gravestone. Uh, he, de- he demanded it to, to be that way. And so his name is not on there. Uh, and, uh, and and actually just says uh, to a man who uh, uh, a poet and a man uh, whose name was writ in water. I'm actually not quoting it exactly, but tis a name uh, was writ in water, and it's an interesting concept that he had, and that he, that he was uh, basically as a person, as a human being, believe that uh, that we all are just kind of that he himself his life was one in which uh, his name was written in water in fact it just kind of like uh flowed away like water uh it's somewhat of a of a fatalistic kind of viewpoint but it also is a hugely humble kind of viewpoint and he just uh came and went that was his kind of viewpoint of his life uh and tried to do as much as he could while here and and that's also one of the marks of a of a of a romantic is uh, to uh, not only suffer, learn, but also take advantage of every moment you have uh, in everything you do, and never let a moment go to waste. And so, even though his name was written water, he never let a moment go to waste. John Keats didn't.
And back in those days, people definitely didn't because uh, everybody was dying around him. Uh, you know, there wasn't there wasn't much to kind of uh, cling to except your life and 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 manage every moment and take advantage of every moment because you never knew. You still don't know, but because of modern medicine, thank God, uh, people have an ability to to have a, a more chances to do good works. Let's put it that way. All right, okay. I'll get on with what's happening around the around the world. And uh, Jim Talent's going to join me at seven thirty. By the way. All right, so let's get to it. Now you know that when we had that shooting in Thousand Oaks. I'm actually the media kind of surprised me a little bit. There might have been somebody I missed who blamed President Trump for that shooting because it was done by a Marine who had suffered through PTSD and didn't get kind of the help that he needed to get. By the way, I'm not I'm not seeing comments on Facebook, so I don't know. I'm seeing people watching. Matt, are you seeing comments? Huh. I'm not seeing comments on Facebook. That's kind of weird. It's always something with these with this damn outfit. It really is. It's always something, but I do not see any uh I do not see any comments on Facebook. I just see that people are watching, but I'm not seeing any any comments. I didn't like turn off comments or anything. But uh but you know what? It's it's always something with this. There's always like really? Oh now we have now I see comments. It's interesting. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, all right. Yes, Debbie, these conversations, Debbie Copeland, are necessary. I, I'm glad you appreciate them because I love uh, – Thank. I've finally seen the comments but because I, I, I actually do – I love talking about that stuff, to tell you the truth. And someday um, we just – we should devote it, you know. Thank you. Swipe left, says Mama K. I don't know what I did, but you all popped up on there. So, uh, n- uh, nonetheless, and and, and you no, know, but I love those kind of conversations. I love to have because they're they they ultimately are very important conversations. I mean, actually, in in uh, in light of that, I might as well get to the the other conversation I like to have because in 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 uh, in thinking of seizing the day and taking advantage of every moment. Uh, even, for instance, today is uh, Natalie's birthday, my daughter Natalie's birthday, and she is 11 today. And Natalie was born five and a half uh, weeks prematurely. And, uh, and and while, you know, when we were in the NICU, you know, and she was uh, basically in a box uh, so the box could help her breathe. Uh, she was set up. She couldn't breathe on her own. She was born because she basically shot out before the birthing process could allow uh, the, the, the water to be squeezed out of her lungs. You know what I'm saying? Because that's usually what the birthing process does. Listen to me. So it, 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 but anyway, that's what I learned through, the, through the, this whole thing. So generally when you, are, uh, when you are born, the whole squeezing through the canal, uh, birthing canal, squeezes the uh, water out of your lungs. Well, Natalie was very impatient. In fact, the reason why uh, we wound up naming her Natalie is because she was actually due. <laughs> she was due on Christmas. She was she was supposed to be born on Christmas, and so uh, we we did not have a name for her though. But she was she, her due date was uh, was Christmas, 
And so uh, she decided, though, that she wasn't going to wait for Christmas. And so what she did was she wound up uh, uh, knocking on the door five and a half weeks early. In fact, uh, it was a situation where I, I will never forget because we were I was supposed to have a party uh, the Friday night. We were supposed to have some kind of party. Uh, I just decided. And Andrea was, uh, let's see, at that point, you know, seven and a half weeks uh, pregnant. Well, she was, you know, close. And, and But she still wanted to have a party. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's fine with me. Just don't – if people ask, like, why are you having a party when you're – this far along pregnant, don't tell people it was me who wanted to do this. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like abusing my wife by having some big bash while she's, you know, close to term. But anyway, so I go out and in fact, I went to Sam's and got all this, uh, this booze and stuff for it. I had to sign something. I got so much booze. I had to sign something that to, to, to show that I was not going to resell it. That's how much I got. We were ready to party. But anyway, I'm serious. That's what they do, man. They tell you, now, are you not going to go resell? I had to sign a piece of paper that said, that, that promised that I wasn't going to be selling it, uh, uh, reselling it or whatever. Anyway, and, and by the way, uh, there was some talk of me returning it after Natalie was born. And I was like, I'm not returning that. I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay here right in the house. <laughs> For and I managed to keep it all. Anyway, so um, she was uh, so she was knocking on the door, and 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 that was when they were redoing forty. So they were, and so there was it was pretty dicey getting to the hospital uh, to St. John's at the time. It's called St. John's, and I think it's Mercy now, but uh, St. John's, and and we pell melled out there, and I'll be darned if 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 it wasn't. 10 minutes into arrival that Natalie was born. It might have been a shorter period of time. I sometimes I get that 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 minute by minute thing wrong. Uh but but it was we got there and uh boom, it was yeah, Jamie's Jamie's pub was born the day Natalie came. That's right, Mama K. <laughs> but but yeah, we got to the hospital just in the nick of time. And it wasn't, I had it wasn't more than 10 minutes that Nat, I'll be darned if Natalie wasn't born. And it was, of course, uh, five and a half weeks before uh, her due date, which was Christmas. And, but she came out, couldn't breathe. And so they took her right away down to the NICU and put her in that little, little box of hers and hooked her up to a breathing apparatus. And so she, uh, yeah, Anthony, I call it St. John still, too. But I put it up to a, a breathing tube, and I uh, was watching her little tummy go, you know, up and down. It was, it was a little bit, bit nerve-wracking, I have to tell you. Uh, but when you are in a, uh, a NICU unit, one thing you do realize that your problem is never the worst one. And so... There's a there's a thing about being in a NICU unit, a pediatric uh, baby unit, uh, NICU unit, where where you realize that yeah you're you're in some bad straits, but for every person uh, for you, there's always someone who is in more worse of a situation. So uh, Natalie was in a bad situation, but we could look around and see 
babies in worse situations. And so we realize that as well. And so uh, really just it, it's a, it's an interesting place to be and it's a, it's a tense place to be and it's a hard place to be. But, but uh, Natalie wound up and the key to getting out of uh, the NICU unit is eventually she started to breathe on her own and everything was fine. And she, and she was still in the box, but didn't have the, the breathing uh, assistance. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and the key to getting out of the NICU unit is you got to learn how to eat. You got to learn, know how to eat. And once you're able to eat on your own, meaning, you know, you breastfeed and everything else, once you're able to kind of get that down, they'll let you out. And if you don't, they won't. So it's up to the baby to uh, pull up their bootstraps and get to eating to get out of there. That's their ticket out of NICU. And so uh, Natalie, uh, again, when we talk about seizing the moment, uh, Natalie uh, was uh, seizing the moment there and uh, and and ate her, ate her way out of the NICU unit. So good, good for her, and, and she's a strong, healthy girl now, so much so that it was just a beautiful time a couple years ago when uh, Natalie, who uh, as a result of her prematurity and, 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 and because of the lung issue, she's always had kind of asthma issues. So, uh, so she, she, as an inhaler and all that kind of thing, and uh, yet she managed to run, and I'll never forget the, 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 that day, which is beautiful, um, running a, a, a 3K race. And so, uh, or was it a 5K? I don't remember either. I just knew that we were running. And we were running downtown and at, at the uh, kids race down there, the school races down there. And she completed the race and it was a big day for her. For, for a girl who was born unable to breathe, the fact that she went ahead and ran in that race and made it and did it well was quite a, quite a feat for her. And so was very, so very proud of her. So uh, as a reminder, though, that she came early. We still named her Natalie, which is basically Christmas. So we still named her Natalie, even though she spent Thanksgiving in the NICU. So she did it. She did a great job. I'm very proud of her. And uh, she's a she's a smart, just uh, wildly happy and amazing girl. So love her. Happy birthday, Natalie. And thank you for uh, for living in the reflection of the of the romantics by going through your ordeal, but becoming better because of it. So love her and happy birthday to, to Natalie. All right. So now back to my original point. So I thought that the, it would take longer, but back in the day, uh, I, I, did and and oh, our friend Angie Moser just went, hi Angie you missed my Natalie story you'll have to go back and see it on the on the podcast here Angie's a dear friend of ours a dear friend of mine and Andrea's and she's a, a sweet sweet woman so thank you Angie for all of that so anyway um what was I saying oh I thought it would take longer and it, and and I might have missed it along the way but you know the shooting in Thousand Oaks was a big deal. It involved a Marine who had PTSD and 
the I, I thought it would maybe be by the weekend because it was a Friday. I can't remember what day it was. Maybe it was a Friday or Thursday. But anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, I thought it would t- t- take just a matter of days before they blamed it on Trump. And I thought it would take a matter of days before they said this was somehow Trump's fault. And and actually, they surprised me by I might have missed one commentator here or there, but but I was but I was uh, but but I was surprised that they it took them this long. So it did happen eventually, and of course, it happened on guess where CNN and. Yeah, well, you know, and and Bindi, you bring up a great point here, and this is one of those things that people just don't understand. And I, I know I've I've known people, uh, some of them who served even with Ethan, who had problems uh, before they joined the armed services. They had issues before they joined the armed services because almost reflexively, people will blame military service for uh the 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 issues and and and, oh and thank you my mother-in-law kathy's on thank you kathy for all of uh your love and all your support as well but anyway they uh they join the military but they might have problems before that they might even have addictions or any everything before they join the military but reflexively what happens is when someone who is a veteran commits some kind of heinous act they always somehow blame it on war or blame it on their service and it could be tied to their service that's for sure i know i know that ptsd is a thing and there are many people who suffer from it so i'm not i'm not underplaying that i'm just saying that 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 it's not a we don't know about this guy we don't know what his life was like beforehand or or what the situation was but he did he did serve in war and it might have had a big impact on on him. I'm just saying it, 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 it's a good thing to bring up, Indy, is to, is to ask the question, well, wait a minute, was all this a result of his service or did he have problems before that? Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to the news media, let's put it that way. And, of course, CNN was the first one out of the block to decide that they were going to blame this all on, on, uh, on Trump. And, and, of course, it went to the... Uh, to the VA and 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 this is where you know and they, and they do it not really directly tying it to the murder they just kind of bring it up as a thing and 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 implied in all that is the tie to what happened because everybody's talking about you know his treatment and whether he got the right treatment and all that kind of stuff everybody's talking about that and so Chris Cuomo decides that's going to be his crusade and he knocks it out are the backbone of our nation. So in addition to everything else, as you see, I did the promotion of military spouse hiring across the federal government. Fact is, I've done a lot. I could, I could, goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) I mean, he has, I mean, that's, he has done a lot. President Trump has done a lot for our veterans and continues to support them and has beefed up the VA and has cleaned out and cleaned house. You realize how many people have been fired from the VA 
as a result of President Trump's mandate that they start to clean house and start to work things out and get the dead weight out of the VA? There have been hundreds of people who have been let go from the VA, and and for cause, by the way. Hundreds of people who have been let go. And and, and it's been a it's been, there was a swamp in the VA that President Trump took care of, a swamp that had been supported by Republicans and Democrats before him. So when President Trump is is glib and jocular about this kind of thing, I know some people are like, "Oh, that's offensive! How dare you?" It's like, no, it's not. It's pretty. It's that that's pretty vintage, President Trump right there. <laughs> I, I do. I do like it when he does stuff like that. I mean, I do. I do like it when he. When that's what. Oh, I've got shush a lot. for a second. I, I want to get. I want to get to Trump. Hold on I, a second. So, in addition to everything else, as you see, I did the promotion of military spouse hiring across the federal government. Fact is, I've done a lot. I could, I could. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. <laughs> I love that. I love that about President Trump when he does stuff like that. I mean, these other guys are so uh, are always so stiff, you know. President Obama would never have done a thing like that. And in fact, you know what? It might have. And I can't tell you. I can't promise you with with uh, with uh, any kind of uh, promise, <laughs> but. I wonder if, if President, Trump, uh, President Obama had a little better of a sense of humor. It didn't take every single word that came out of his mouth as if he was Moses. Maybe he would have been a little more likable. And I realize that people who voted for him and loved him loved him no matter what and thought he was like the grooviest president because he, well, tried to play basketball. And had, and had Stevie Wonder at the White House. I mean, I, I, get, I get all that, but he really wasn't all that, that groovy. He was kind of a square with his uh, mom jeans, and he couldn't, he's like the only black guy on earth who couldn't play basketball. And, and so, and, and, and so he's, he's, if he'd been a little more uh, humor-filled and, and took himself a little less seriously and maybe just kind of, you know, had a little more fun with things, maybe we would have liked him more. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike him as a person. I didn't dislike President Trump. I'm President Obama. I didn't, I didn't as a person, because I, I, I didn't know him. I just knew him for his policies and how he came across. So personal, I didn't have some personal beef with President Obama. But he did, but you have to admit, he did take himself pretty seriously. And when he would do his uh, speeches, you know, and have his chin up in the air, and 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 he'd he'd act like everything that came out of his mouth was like was the was 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 the the gospel according to Barack, the gospel the gospel according to Barack, my pen and the phone. You didn't build that; somebody else made that happen. Come on, you know, and so. It would have been nice if he, sometimes he kind of let down his guard a little bit and just kind of had a little fun with things. I'm not saying you got to joke about everything, but we might have liked him better if he'd been a little more like President Trump. But the, this is funny, though. Come on. But, boy, did it piss off Chris Cuomo. Cuomo. He did not like that. Insult to injury. Uh, shush. Hold on a second. I'm trying to re, 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 uh, reboot this thing. Hang on. Nation. 
Come on. Military families are the backbone of our nation. So, in addition to every... I'm having trouble with my, my, uh, my Newsbusters video again. Uh, and and I'm having trouble with my headphones. See, I did the promotion of military spouse hiring across the federal government. Fact is, I've done a lot. I could... <laughs> I could, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. <laughs> and then, then he like he put out just insult love the guy. To oh, shush! You're a baby. That's what you just saw. Yeah, right. Trump telling all those Marines in the world he's done so much for our troops, giving them himself a nice pat on the back in his administration. At the same time that he was saying that, VA officials were fumbling and stumbling to explain the GI Bill benefits crisis that is ongoing right now on Trump's watch. Um, right now, as Trump is trying to fix it, but Chris Cuomo either ignores or forgets that all this began years ago before Trump even considered running for president. Trump is there trying to fix this. This is what he's doing, though. This is, you know, Cuomo can make the case it's happening on Trump's watch, but but tr- let President Trump get to things as they come up so he can take care of them. This GI Bill mess that Cuomo's talking about didn't begin with President Trump. And Cuomo knows that. But you know what's, you know what's happening here is that they're trying to kind of put the seed in people's mind. They're, 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 because this is really actually a, a – a, 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 Something's buried in there that ties this to his general lack of concern for veterans and ties it into the general lack of concern for people like the guy who wound up killing people in Thousand Oaks. And it's just it just is based on a false premise, but it doesn't stop Cuomo from just just crapping all over the president and, and scowling into the camera and talking about all and these problems. And he ignores such a painful reality. If he's done so much, why the GI Bill mess? Why the VA mess? Why no real help for suicide and mental health treatment as was promised? Yeah, why, why not do what Obama did? What, what Obama's VA did? Like spend $18 million on art for all of the VA offices out there. $18 million on art. And $142 million in bonuses. You realize the people who worked in the VA were getting bonuses while they were busy ruining it. And this was all by President Obama's administration, his VA. But it's interesting that in terms of how Obama was bird-dogged for his management of the VA, there's no comparison at all because Cuomo never criticized President Obama's VA. Let's 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 just, let's just put it this way: when there were issues regarding the Veterans Administration, we remember when back in the day, and, and this was right about the time President Obama, President Trump was elected. But remember, the VA had all these problems. They were they were the the, the uh, people were uh, waiting for months for care and dying while they were waiting for care. That's what President Trump was there to fix, and he did fix it. President Trump fixed the wait times for veterans when it came to the kind of care they wanted and, and even suggested at one point, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it actually gets done, 
that uh, veterans could have just simply a health card that they could use wherever they they want to use it instead of actually having to go to a VA facility, even though obviously people at VA facilities are trained to take care of veterans. But nonetheless, this this health card was a great idea, and it was it was President Trump's idea. So President Trump has done a hell of a lot for for our veterans, and and Cuomo wasn't around when Obama wasn't hardly doing anything but spending eighteen million dollars on art and one hundred and forty two million dollars on bonuses. Why are these mystery pals of his from Mar-a-Lago reportedly calling shots at the VA with no oversight? Nobody chose them. Why won't Trump even okay the change of the VA motto? Did you hear about this? It's an Abraham Lincoln quote, and it's a beautiful one. The motto is to care for him who shall have borne the battle for his widow and his orphan. It made sense then, but not now. Did it make sense when Obama was president? The obvious insinuation here could be because, you know, the him thing and... and, and uh, it, 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 they're, they're insinuating somehow that it ignores women, female veterans. But but it's interesting. It made sense when Lincoln came up with it, right? When 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 the when the Lincoln quote was uh, was used. But are you telling me then through all the the administrations, Clintons and Obamas, everything else, Cuomo, that it was it, it made sense. To then, care for him who shall have borne the battle for his widow and his orphan. It made sense then, but not now. Women are warriors, not only widows, and there's a real pressure for parity. Cuomo's catching himself there. As you, as, I don't know whether you, whether you were able to pick that up or not in his voice. I can pick it up in, in the visual here. But Cuomo's catching himself because he knows what he just said which was that this motto, which apparently in his mind is sexist, made sense then, but not now. So, so I guess as of 2016, when President Trump was elected, the motto no longer made sense. But for, for eight years of the Obama presidency, the Veterans Administration's motto uh, made sense. And he, know, and he knows he's just like said something that's like, damn it. I hope nobody catches this because uh, my insinuation is that it made sense when Barack was president, but not when President Trump is president. These guys, you can't you can't keep up with all their to care for him who shall have borne weirdness. the battle for his widow and his orphan. It made sense then, but not now. Women are warriors, not only widows. And there's a real pressure for parity. And they've been asking for this motto change for a long time. And the word is that it's reached the secretary level and the president isn't moving on it. What, what was the long time they've been asking for the change in the motto? I, Cuomo doesn't really give us a date as to uh, when they demanded a change in the motto. When he says a long time. So did they start to demand a change in the motto on January 17th of 2017 on inauguration day? Or was... Your hero, Chris, Barack Obama, was he president of the United States when they were demanding a change in the motto? This guy's all over the map here in the motto. It's a beautiful one. The motto is to care for him who shall have borne the battle for his widow and his orphan. It made sense then, but not now. Women are warriors, 
not only widows, and there's a real pressure for parity. And they've been asking for this motto change for a long time. And the word is that it's reached the secretary level and the president isn't moving on it. <laughs> I, I, I would agree that maybe the motto does need to be changed. I, I get I get it. I mean, it, it was a uh, if you want to get down to brass tacks about, you know, cared for him and his widows and that kind of thing. It's all about the guys. Yeah, I could see them. I could see them changing the motto. But if you're going to bitch about the motto and insinuate somehow that that because the motto has not been changed under President Trump's administration, that he's a horrible person, and yet it was also enforced during Clinton, Bush, Obama, but that's okay. I mean, if it didn't make if it doesn't make sense now, it certainly didn't make sense in 2010 or or 2015 or whatever it is. I mean. If it doesn't make it means suddenly we didn't just discover the female warrior on January 17th of 2017. But you wouldn't know that if you listen to uh, Chris Cuomo, who who apparently it's 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 the sole responsibility of President Trump to have changed a motto that has been in force since the days of Lincoln. <laughs> who I shall have borne amazing. the battle yes, for buddy. his widow and his orphan. Mm-hmm. It made sense then, but not now. Women are warriors, not only widows, and there's a real pressure for parity. And they've been asking for this motto change for a long time, and the word is that it's reached the secretary level, and the president isn't moving on it. Why? And the reason that they may sound to you as new is because people like me haven't covered them enough. And as I told you on Veterans Day, we will do better, and this is just one piece there are more to follow. Oh, good. So that means then that we're going to get more coverage of the VA. And if they're going to go back in time, although unfortunately it doesn't look like they will, but if you go back in time, why don't you go back, if, if you feel like you're, you haven't covered the VA enough, Chris, uh, go back to April of 2017. And that is when the Trump administration fired the director of one of the most horrible VA hospitals on the planet, and that was in Louisiana. And then if you are going to go back, uh, of course, then you won't because you're just promising to cover it now um, that you've suddenly seen uh, something, you know, you've suddenly seen, had, had, a, had a vision that you didn't cover it enough. Now you're going to suddenly start covering it. But you, maybe you should go back in time to uh, June of 2017. This is uh, another, again, you know, months after he was inaugurated when he uh, signed, President Trump signed the Department of Veterans Affairs Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act, which meant that he was opening the door for individuals to go ahead and rat out the horrible people in the VA the people who were responsible for the long wait times and indeed even maybe even the deaths of individuals because of the long wait times or about simple conditions in VA hospitals like they saw there in uh, in Louisiana but it was it was pretty bad and 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 the the discovery of what happened was largely dependent on people who came forward and said from within the 
VA and said that this is a problem. And so when President Trump signed the Department of Veterans Affairs Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act into law, that was a big deal, a big movement. And that's how we've been able to discover a lot of the problems that we have found and discovered in the VA. And there was also uh, measures that were introduced to uh, crack down on on some of the more dangerous uh, VA facilities. So, again, the president, while he was joking about it, and, and there were still obviously some problems, uh, he was right when he said he could he could quit now and still have done more for veterans than any other president before him for the first, you know, the Bush administration, Obama administration. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, he could, he could stop now and, and, and still have achieved more than two presidents combined in terms of uh, what uh, we've uh, done and what they've done for, for the VA. So I'm, uh, I'm, ready, I'm ready to uh, go ahead and call this one a, a win for the president. Absolutely. Take it away. little nrbq on this beautiful friday live from the discovery design studios truck care manufacturing studios ddtruckusa.com thank you to michael proctor proctor spelled like doctor you heard him in here earlier yesterday and uh, 45 years coming up as of uh, january 1 2019 45 years in the window fashion business. Michael Proctor is a good friend of mine, good guy, and love the guy. He's done plenty of jobs for me, and he can do it for you, too. Maybe not right before Thanksgiving, but if you're thinking about something for the holidays, Michael can do it. Seven days a week he's operating, and he's uh, got his mobile design unit. He's all set up. Comes to your doorstep, never have to move, and he's uh, your interior designer as well. Don't forget about my uh, folks over at Nutrition HQ, too, folks. They have uh, weight loss plans and ways to beef up your femininity, so to speak, for you ladies out there, and also for the guys. Winoline and Barillatat, which is a, a testosterone booster, and Winoline's a fat burner. So if you guys are busy this fall and not able to get to the gym and noticing it, right the ship. Be bikini ready. Be bikini and speedo ready by springtime. Has wearing your speedos. See, you can do that with Nutrition HQ. NHQ.rocks right there on Manchester Road. It's Manchester and McKnight in Rock Hill. You can also shop online, NHQ.rocks. Veteran owned, Ricky Hall, Air Force veteran. Good man, friend of mine. Captain Lou was quite the negotiator. Whether you caught that or not. Captain Lou Albano. Is he still alive? Man? Oh. NRBQ is a great band. 
NHQ.rocks. And they also have great uh, protein powders and carb-free dinners. Great, really great dinners. If you're on the go and need a lunch or dinner, they've got that for you as well. Meals and uh, vitamin packs and pre-workouts. It's great. Nutrition HQ. NHQ.rocks on the web. You're gonna you're gonna love these guys and what they uh, what they do for you. You know, I'll tell you that the uh, the news media, especially in the form of people like Chris Matthews, for instance, they they talk a lot about you know you know Matthews likes to. You guys ever had a moon pie? By the way, a good RC Cola, yeah. You like RC? Matt likes RC. RC Cola I could do without, but uh, it's a little flat. Tastes a little flat to me. But in the South, they love RC Cola. And the Moon Pie you buy at the convenience store, Moon Pies are good. So it's, it's kind of like, 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 like a graham cracker wrapped around marshmallow and icing. I think it's a graham cracker. I can't get my comments to go on. I can't get my comments on here, so I can't get people to to react to this. So I, I don't I don't know what's going on. Um, for some reason, I'm not able to get get to see comments on here. So sorry if I'm not responding to something you might be uh, suggesting, folks. Uh, but yeah, the the moon pie is really delicious. So it's got a little marshmallow in it. It's got a. Uh, it's got the graham crackery thing in there, and then it's covered by kind of an icing-like thing. And uh, and it's good because what you do is you have it with the RC Cola, and, and what, what it would happen is it creates some, some kind of, like, bubbly foam in your mouth. That's, I don't know. Don't ask me. That they just, it just made the moon pie taste better. Because here's the deal. The moon pie was ultra-sweet. And so when you have an RC Cola with it, the RC Cola tastes not so sweet, and it's just kind of a good... It's kind of like having a beer with cake. Like, you know, uh, like, they're really... I, that's why I love birthday parties sometimes, because uh, there's nothing better tasting than beer and birthday cake. Or, or a cake. And I think it's because the sweetness goes with the... Not so sweet, at least with beer. And so beer tastes pretty good with Have you guys ever had beer with birthday cake? It's pretty good. Encouraging you to try that. Maybe I'll do it this weekend. RC Cola and a moon pie. Thank you, NRBQ, for all that. Thank you, NHQ.rocks, Nutrition HQ. Thank you to Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. 855-QUOTE-ME. Thank you also to Michael Proctor, Proctor spelled like doctor. And speaking of beer, can you imagine... 84 different craft beers at Santino Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road, right there in beautiful Arnold. And upwards of 180 different spirits for you as well. So if you uh, have been unable to find that whiskey or that gin or that vodka or whatever, I guarantee you Santino Cigars and Cocktails has it. And also, of course, uh, hundreds of different kinds of uh, cigars for you as well. They have the walk-in humidor and everything else. But, yeah, they've got 84, 83 craft beers 
at Santino's. I mean, that's a lot of different kinds of beers. So as you are uh, winding your way into the holidays and into Thanksgiving, knock yourself out at Santino's Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road in Arnold. So thank you to you guys down there. Love you and love what you're giving all the, the folks. It's a nice place to have a little date night. He's got his exhaust system there, so you're not leaving there smelling like cigars. So uh, knock yourselves out. All right, back to back to Matthews. Matthews likes to compare Trump to Hitler, and he likes to talk a lot about you know assassinations and taking people out and Mussolini and and you know more than a few times has compared uh, has has compared Trump to Gaddafi, uh, and he, he likes to talk about death a lot and about uh, and about taking leaders out. I don't know why, but he he kind of always insinuates that whole thing about the Trump administration and and about taking emergency measures to remove him. And Matthews is a weird cat, man. Choice done, everybody, as you know from your experience as as an escape route. I mean, Saddam Hussein ended up hiding in the ground. He didn't have an escape route. Uh, Not all bad guys have this plan to get her out of town. So he's insinuating somehow, and, and maybe figuratively, I don't know. But he's but he's acting as if uh, there is this idea that somehow President Trump has the Ceausescu uh, helicopter waiting on the roof to 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 evacuate him when the people come to uh, remove him from the White House, a la obviously Saddam Hussein. But uh, making these kinds of comparisons is kind of sport for these guys, but. That's what Think he does. Think about Trump. He's got the pardon power, which we don't know how limited that is or unlimited. He's got Whitaker in there as attorney general. He could possibly uh, stifle <laughs> any reports or indictments, I guess. Uh, what else? He's got a bunch of good lawyers, I think. It's very uh, interesting. Uh, uh, Chris Matthews has the same disease that Jeff Flake has, and that is that they are creating scenarios that have no evidence of any existence in reality. So Flake, of course, as you've seen him out in uh, Congress, he's making these big flowing speeches out there about how I'm not going to approve of any judicial nominees unless a bill is passed to protect Bob Mueller. It's like, yeah, typical, obviously, Republicrat. Nothing uh, – a new law is uh, – more government is, is, is what's necessary here. But anyway, he's insinuating – like, and this has happened – how many times, folks, since you've been paying attention to this Bob Mueller thing – have you heard people go on the Sunday shows or go on the floor of the Senate or the House or go on these panels, a lot of them have been Republicans, and say the president better not fire Bob Mueller. He better not do this. He better not do that. And the president's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't, stop saying I'm going to do that. Well, there's a possibility he will. It's like, no, there's been no indication at all that President Trump is wanting to Get rid of Bob Mueller. I mean, even if even if you take into account uh, his appointment of Whitaker, and and Whitaker made one comment one time about the Mueller investigation, that's not enough. You, you'd never be able to convict anybody in court with that kind of uh, circumstantial evidence. You'd never be able to do it. And then these guys occupy a, a lot of news time talking about how there's this possibility that President Trump's going to pardon himself or pardon this, and, and, the, and there's been no indications whatsoever. 
that he's that he's even going to attempt to do that. He's made insinuations about what the executive branch powers are, and, and he does, and he indeed does have them. But so far, there's been no activity. And by the way, where were the, where are the Tuesday Mueller indictments? that everybody was talking about, were imminent Tuesday night. By Tuesday night, the indictments will have come down from Bob Mueller. So far, nothing. No indications whatsoever. But yeah, that was all over the news. I think the Drudge Report had a siren, you know, uh, accompanying the headline that that uh, that there was going to be some kind of... Uh, Indictment coming down for Bob Mueller. Let me get to uh, Jim Talent here. Good morning this morning, everybody. Good morning this morning. I tell you, yesterday, had the day been a little bit longer, that damn snow would have melted. Wouldn't it have? Would, 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 it would have. Hold on a second here. Get this going here. Let me get here. Let me get there. Let me do that. Let me do this, and then I'll do that. 7.30 on the dot, it's Jim Talon time. 7.30 on the dot, it's Jim Talon time. Grab your coffee, grab your glasses, grab your wine or whatever you're drinking. Skype is kind of not making me happy these days. Boy, Hello? what's the matter? Are you Okay. Hi, Jim. So Jim answers the phone, but doesn't say hello for like 10 minutes. Hello. Yes, that's how it's done. You know, uh, interestingly enough, I I noticed you picked up. I can't hear you. You can't hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, he can't hear me. Wonder why that is. Huh? What the hell? Hold on. He must have some issue. My 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 microphone is on. Hello. Hey Jim, can you hear me? I can now. I don't know what happened. I don't know either because it's just you. you uh, the first time. You kind of like picked up the phone, but didn't say anything, and I was wondering what was going on there. And then the second time you didn't hear me, and the third time you just did. And I, I well, only... I could I could hijack the interview by saying I did it deliberately, but I didn't. No, I know just, I couldn't I couldn't hear you. And the first time I said hello, and you evidently didn't hear me. Well, you know uh, that's just the way it goes because you know. Let me tell you something. I had a whole jingle that I was singing for I, the, the the Jim Talent jingle. You want to hear it? Sure. 7.30 on the dot. It's Jim Talon time. Grab your coffee. Grab your glasses. And I didn't know why I put glasses in there, but I just did. It's it's still in writing phase. Jamie, I've worn glasses since I was about eight years old. And I I talked with a doctor about that Lasix. Yeah. You know, that Lasix. Here I am. It's 20 years old, and I'm calling it that Lasix, but. Evidently, it was uh, when it first started. It was kind of risky for me, and I've never really revisited it. So, 
here I am with my cup of coffee and my glasses. Oh, well, see, I, that's, I, I didn't, I, you know, I was insinuating that people who were listening would grab their coffee and their glasses, but I didn't realize that actually I wrote something very true about Jim Talent, that he does grab his coffee and grab his glasses. Uh, so I didn't even and think about that. I didn't, grab my coffee and my glasses and my Jamie Allman. You know, so people, it's a, it's a good morning. People for a while there, you know, LASIK was something uh, that that and and I was gonna, you know, people who wanted to do ads for LASIK, for instance, and said, "Oh, you can you can get LASIK." I said, "I don't really think I need it," uh, but but I but I always figured that I'd be the I'd be that one person who went blind. You know what I mean? Like I, I figured I'd be the one guy that was blinded by yeah. LASIK. You know, so you'd be the one case that would be reported in all the medical literature. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's exactly. probably not true, but it might have had some problems. You know, did you know, by the way, that um, baseball players generally have like extraordinary vision? That's something I've always envied. You know, the hitters. Yeah, that's one of the reasons they're such great hitters is that they see the ball. I mean, they they have eyes like eagles. Well, you know, Tony Gwynn used to talk about uh, how why he was such a great hitter. And Tony Gwynn said, sometimes he said, literally, the ball to me is standing still. It's like sitting, it's just, it might as well be dangling out in front of me or on a tee. That's how, that's how easily I see the ball. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a skill. When I was a little boy, my ambition was to play third base for the Cardinals. <laughs> and I might have done it too, except I was nowhere near good enough even to play. <laughs> Even to play in high school, so I'd have loved to do that, boy. Just to step out on a major league field and play one time, wow, boy. Me, you know what? It's interesting. Uh, when when I was a kid, I I wanted to be a, a baseball player too, and and I just wasn't I wasn't very good. I mean, I, I and here's one of the a great stories. I was um, I was like, I I'm pretty sure I was the uh, yeah I was I was like the only white guy on my little league baseball team. Right. And, uh, I think I was all, I, I think that I actually might've been the first white guy to benefit from affirmative action because, uh, <laughs> because like my, like my coach, uh, Mr. Newsom, uh, was, was black, uh, great guy. And I'll be darned. I wasn't that great, but I'll be darned if he didn't make sure I was at every practice at every game, he would even come and pick me up. And make sure I came to the game. And then sometimes he'd make me play shortstop. And all I would do is sit out there. And I, by the way, I loved baseball. I just wasn't very good at it. I didn't grow up, you know, playing catch with my dad or, you know. But anyway, so, but I, but as a shortstop, and, and, and I would sit there and pray that the ball wouldn't come to me when I was a shortstop. <laughs> because I didn't, I was. Well, these professionals, I mean, they understand. Sorry, I, I, they understand these games and their skill is, you know, when you read about them, Stan Musial used to talk about hitting the top half of the ball. Yeah. I mean, he's deliberate. Top half. Yeah, I'm having, pro- I'm having trouble. With this. He was a line drive hitter and he did not have um, an upward arc to his swing. He swing. he, he Swung down, just out of there. Yeah. Hey, listen. Um, he was a great I, hitter all the way to the end. Um, hey, Jim. 
I, I've got a, I've got a, uh, I've got a, it says yeah. I have a, it says I have a poor network connection on this. So, uh, once again, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to have to go to my, my phone hotspot. Um, because it says I have okay. a poor network connection. So I need to, uh, and okay. I, don't, I don't know why, um, but it says I, I, I'm on. You don't I'm think on. We've the, done enough of an interview already. No, no, no I, 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 no, I, I, I need to do radio. I need to do more. But I'm on. I'm on Gaslight Private Ext. Is that uh, Matt? Is that proper or what is it? Because I'm getting really uh, tired of this with with the Skype. And it says a poor network connection. What's that? Okay. All right. I don't know why it keeps uh, going on that. Uh, let me just do the private. 5G or 2G? Okay. Hey, Jimmy? Jim? Yeah. I'm going to call you back, okay? Yeah. All right, hang on. Okay, man. Yeah, hang on. Pissing me off here. Hang on. Um, All right, let me... uh, uh, Can you come in here a second, Matt, and just help me out here? Is it... uh, which one is it? Which one is it on here that I need to go to that actually will get me through my show? The 2G EXT show. Okay. And, and uh, can you type in the, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me call him back then. Thank you, buddy. All right. Let me call you back. Hello. Good morning, this morning. Uh, we're back. Can you hear me? Network are you on now? I'm on. I'm on this. I'm on this. This uh, ga- gaslight thing, and it's. Are you? Are you okay? Are you there? Can you connection lost? Can't now. All right. Um, can you hear me yes, now? I can hear you. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'd call you from a landline, but I'm in a hotel in College Station, Texas. So it's not, that'd be kind of difficult. It's not your phone. It's it's telling it's 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 literally telling me I have a poor network connection. That's what it's telling me. So uh, that's it's 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 Skype is telling me that that it's a that's a poor network connection. But it's I don't think but it's not your phone. It doesn't say here. Okay. Jim Talent's phone is sucking wind. It says poor network connection. Anyway, let's just let's just uh, see if we can uh, make it through. All right. So anyway, that was okay. great baseball talk. You know, and, and and one thing I I think is interesting too. Uh, speaking of glasses, before and then we'll move on to topics that uh, are germane to our world right now. But Joe Kelly, little Joe Kelly, the pitcher for Boston, who used to be with us, but we got rid of him for crabby John Lackey. Uh, he wears those glasses. Like he must have. He must have either. Really poor eyesight and has to have the actual glasses on, or he just doesn't like contacts or whatever. There have been a few, and he's a pitcher. Yeah. I think it's a little bit less important for pitchers. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can. I mean, there are there are a few. There are exceptions to it, but mo- most of the time they they just see really well. And um, yeah, that kind of athleticism is something most of us would love to have, and few of us do, right? Right on, brother. Right on. And by the way, one more thing about glasses, and then we'll move on. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny about that is, it, is that when you were a kid, 
uh, glasses might not have been like like considered to be cool, right? But mm-hmm. but now uh, glasses are kind of like are, are cons- kids wearing glasses are they're considered to be cool kids and like like now now kids want to have glasses. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it really is. Uh, everything comes around. It's just that never in time to benefit me. I mean, it was like <laughs> well, there are even it wasn't people- cool when I was a kid. There are even people on TV, and because they look so so young, or or maybe they just don't feel like they look very smart, they wear smart glasses. Like Katie Couric used to put on glasses because uh, she was kind of slow, and 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 when she put glasses on, it made her look smart. We call those smart glasses. <laughs> she was kind of slow. Yeah, she was kind of slow. She's the luckiest woman on earth. By the way, well, anyway, so no, but that was kind of the thing. Is it? I mean, she's a sweet girl, I know, but 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 she just didn't come across. But but but, 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 but when, she, when she put her glasses on, she looked like Albert Einstein. So it was, it's perfect. And some people have glasses. And if you look like Albert, if you look like Albert Einstein, you must be Albert Einstein. Right? <laughs> well, and plus, some, some people wear glasses and they don't even have any real lenses in them. It's just glass, and but they but they wear them anyway. Yeah, I ever wonder what. You know, Clark Kent's glasses were like, I mean, Superman had x-ray vision, right? So he must have just clear pains. Yeah, because if, if Superman had x-ray vision, why would, why would it be so dramatically the opposite when Clark Kent actually was just not Superman? I don't know. Well, those are, those are questions for uh, another day, I guess. All right, so. Well, the questions you ask, you know, when you're, you're not, you're not supposed to ask that those kinds of questions. Like, how did people not realize Clark Kent was Superman? I mean, the only, the only disguise was he put on a pair of glasses, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, or, or I think I recognize you, Jamie, with a pair of glasses. I think if you showed up with a pair of glasses and said you were somebody entirely different, I would try and be polite for a little while, and then I would say, "You're Jamie Allman, aren't you?" <laughs> well, I, I actually do have I do have readers that I sometimes actually finally have to kind of resort to, uh, and and right. I, I, I did that today. Let me ask you something about about the. Uh, uh, speaking of my readers, the re- one of the reasons I needed to do it is because I freeze framed a uh, excerpt from a story that I had to read on my phone. And uh, and and the story was about how Florida operates with their undervoting or overvoting, and and I re- I recall being, for instance, in line uh, to vote at my polling place here in St. Louis, and there was a woman, and they and they voted, and and you know I used the uh, I used the vote that was the uh, I did the the handwritten one to fill out the things, uh, I did that, and then I I put. Um, because uh, I didn't trust the machines, so I did that. And the woman before me who did the same thing, she put her thing into the machine, which looks suspiciously like a shredder, but I won't you know, talk more about that. Put it in the, in the machine, and then she walked away, but it beeped, and the polling worker called her back. And he said, it appears that you might have skipped a race. That's what I think he said to her, or maybe um, – voted for more than one person in a race or something. Something was not right about one of the votes she made. And he said, you can either redo it or you can simply go ahead and and approve it anyway. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll approve it anyway. So they pushed a button or something or did something, and it just went on through. And, and 
in Florida, though, apparently, uh, there are people who might skip a race, but that's called undervoting. It's not flagged. And now they have a team of canvassers and volunteers trying to determine how these votes, voters who did not vote in a race, would have intended to vote. And I'm like, how is it possible that Florida doesn't do what Missouri does in terms of how it approaches overvotes and undervotes? Wow. Um, so I haven't been following the ins and outs of it all that closely. Uh, typically, I mean, it, it, as I understand election systems, if you don't, if you choose not to vote in a particular election or a particular race on a ballot, your ballot just goes through and you're just not counted in that election. Right. Which I have done in the days when we voted for junior college uh, boards of trustees, if you recall those, I often didn't vote because I had no idea who was running and I figured I'd leave the decision to those who did. Maybe that was a mistake. But that was a choice that I made as a voter. And, uh, you know, I think the idea here is to, you know, is to count the votes people actually cast rather than trying to read their minds about what they would do under different circumstances. But when you have a close election, Jamie, that the tendency is, and to some extent always has been, to try and figure out how you can, you know, game the system to produce the result that you want. And anybody who's shocked, that that happens in close elections uh, hasn't been around the uh, you know the election system very long. It's um, and and of course there's a there's a level of of a, of I, w- I was going to say incompetence or just there's a level of inaccuracy in any system. So if an election is close enough, the inaccuracy can affect the outcome. And I I don't know how we could avoid that short of measures that were so costly we don't want to take them right. Now, it is going to be interesting because I think there's beginning a kind of move back to paper ballots uh, on the, you know, on the grounds that overall uh, they're more reliable. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, there's a concern about that, that, uh, you know, computer systems are easier to tamper with, which probably is true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and I guess. To and the- in- Please go ahead. Well, I, I guess to the broader question, excuse me, but I guess to the broader question that you might actually have uh, more of a, an opinion on, uh, is it, you know, like I'm generally a federalist. I, 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 I think the fact that states do things differently depending on the state, I think, is kind of uh, one of the, uh, the subtle beauties of this country. I, I like the fact that California is different than Montana and Missouri is different than Michigan. And I, I, I like the, uh, the particular uh, qualities and personalities of each state. I, I get that. And I, and I, and I've certainly I'm a state's rights person, but is it uh, anti-federalist to broach the idea of making elections more uniform throughout the country, meaning uh, that, for instance, Florida should do the same thing that Missouri does, especially in a U.S. Senate race, let's say. Uh, would, mm-hmm. would, would that be a problem, and, and, and is it, um, is it uh, unfederalist of me to suggest that maybe we should actually uh, make elections in every state 
uniform and 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 basically federalize elections. Well, Jamie, my view is that federalism is very important, and it's a practical doctrine. In other words, it asks the question: if once we conclude that a particular function is something government should do, as opposed to not do, okay, then we then ask the question what level of government should do it. And I think it's a practical question. The answer is that level of government that can do it best, right? Now, different parts of the country have, uh, on secondary issues, different preferences regarding how elections are conducted. Some places, for example, want the eventual winner to get a majority, not just a plurality. So if nobody gets a majority, they have a runoff. Uh, that's what they do in Georgia, is my understanding. And I think that local preferences should be catered to unless they violate some fundamental principle. So I think, generally speaking, elections ought to be conducted by um, the states because they can cater to those principles. I also don't think there's any reason to believe that in terms of competence, it will be done better if the federal government does it. In fact, I think it's quite likely to be done worse. Oh, yeah, the federal right, government, right. the federal government doesn't is not doesn't provide many direct services to the broad public, because the assumption is that when you're dealing with a service broadly defined, uh, you want control over it to be reasonably close to the people served, whether it's education, whether it's welfare services or whatever, right? So you could prescribe some, ba if, you, if you felt like the states were in danger of violating some really important principle, you could prescribe a, a general federal rule, and we do, for example, one man, one vote. You can't have, uh, states can't draw a congressional map where one district has 100,000 people, another district has a million people. But generally speaking, we leave that up to the states, and I think that that there are downsides to that, but I think the downsides of switching would probably be greater. So I, I but again, to me, the important thing is is the questions that you ask. The question is, which level of government is likely to provide it that service better, or at least less badly? And uh, I think, generally speaking, we should leave it to the states. But you're going to get close elections, and in close elections, you're going to have problems like you have in Florida, and the problems are going to be mostly in the areas where you have, you know, generally speaking, a record of local government incompetence, right? Right. Uh, which is, I mean, it can happen in places where you have really good election authorities. Nobody's perfect. But generally speaking, there's a reason why it keeps happening in the same places, because you have the same less competent people running it. Yeah, that's a that's and, a really uh, good. You answered my question. Then I mean, you, you're you're right. I mean, if you if you, if you, if you look at the ways, even the federal government, you know, handles hurricanes or whatever. I mean, it's right. just, it's uh, or or education. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh that that probably you're probably right that that's probably not the best um uh, the best answer. Uh, but but it is weird how sometimes though, man, Florida always turns out to be just a debacle, and and I I don't doubt for a second that 2020 is going to be uh, similarly messy. And uh, I, I don't even know. I, 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 something in me believes that they're actually even planning for that, but who knows? All right. And then, you know, this, this might interest you actually. Yeah. It's, it's kind of on subject. 
Okay, so I spoke after the election at a, to a group in Columbia. They wanted me to talk about the election, and I went up there and spoke. And I went back, and one of the things I said to people was, the country is narrowly divided nationally on political issues. Now, that division is uneven. In some places, it's not divided at all, right? California. But it's uh, overall, it's narrowly divided. And that means that any particular election result is, is not going to be permanent. In other words, one of the things that bothers me is we get these elections and then somebody writes, people, you get this wave of columns like, you'll never have a Democratic Congress again. You'll never have a Republican House again or whatever. And so I went back and I looked. Okay, so from 1932 through 1994, which was my second term in the Congress, there were 30 general elections and control of one house of, or both houses of Congress changed four times. Okay. Since 1994, there've been 13 general elections and control of one or both houses of Congress has changed seven times. And I think this narrow division is also part of the reason why politics has become so divisive in terms of its tone because every election is kind of is seen as by both parties as existential. In other words, control might change. And so the stakes are perceived to be higher than they were 40 or 50 years ago. So now if you're in, in New Jersey and, you know, Bob Menendez is running and I used, when I was in the Congress, I worked with Menendez on a number of things and in a number of respects, he's a very effective legislator, but he has a record of corruption, right? So if that election had happened 40 years ago, he probably loses because the people in New Jersey say, you know, I'd rather have a Democrat than a Republican, but it's not the end of the world if we elect a Republican and then six years from now we can turn around and elect a Democrat if we want to. But he wins this time because New Jersey voters judged, which was rational from their point of view, that it was very important for the Democrats to control the Senate if possible, right? So the narrow division actually you know, affects the choices that people make. And I think we're going to be in this time until, unless and until we get some decisive kind of realignment among the voters, which I don't see happening anytime soon. Yeah. How's that for a political science observation? No, no, I mean, no, it really is. You know, speaking of elections, by the way, just as a minor detour, I want to get to ask you quickly about Mueller and then uh, we can be done. But I I wanted to say I had the occasion to reach out to uh, Brenda, uh, uh-huh. earlier in the week because right after Eric Schmidt was appointed to be the uh, attorney general in the absence of Josh Hawley, who was elected to the U.S. Senate, obviously, um, right after that, the, the rumors were flying. I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't know how they got started, but the rumors were flying around that Brenda was going to then be appointed treasurer of the state of Missouri. And so... I uh, I thought that was that was interesting news, and so I texted her and I said, "Are you?" Uh, I said, "I'm hearing your name bandied about to be the next treasurer of the state of Missouri," and she actually just and of course she's executive director of the Show Me Institute, which is a fabulous place, and she does a fabulous job there. But but I, I and she got back to me and said, "No, that that's absolutely false." But anyway, she, her name was being run around as possible treasurer of the state of Missouri. Yeah, and I I kind of like basking in my in the reflected glory of my wife's you know celebrity and the, and the number of people who uh, who think highly of her. 
I yeah. it reflects well on me, doesn't it, Jamie? Oh, absolutely. Well, you, know? you're, you both are fantastic people, and I, 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 I just it was interesting how that might have gotten started or whatever. But I, I, I actually wanted to confirm it because her, but, but, and she uh, deconfirmed it. Let's put it that way. Uh, but who knows? A little bit of narcissism isn't bad. I mean, I can I can <laughs> appreciate people's admiration for my wife primarily because of what it says about me, can't I, Jamie? <laughs> well, I can indulge myself a little bit. No doubt about it, man. I no doubt about it. I I am uh, fabulous. I mean, you know, it's funny. The one thing you never lear- hear anybody say to a woman is uh, your better half when they refer to the husband. That's not that's not very nice. You know, that's not very fair. Right. I mean, uh, have you ever heard anybody refer to? Uh, you no, know, I'm trying. I'm sitting here trying to think. I'm trying to think if I've ever heard that expression used for the husband. No, I think it probably <laughs> is less often used. And it's probably less Maybe often. Maybe a little true. bit of chivalry working its way in there. Yeah, it's, I mean, we're we're just you know we're just genuflecting a little bit in the direction of the old chivalric <laughs> times. Well, I was going to say it's it's used less often because it's less often true. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Kind of been my experience too. Yeah, but. usually the better half is always the uh, the wife, anyway. So we might as well just give up on 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 that and uh, and uh, take take the love and be and yeah and be chivalrous about it. I'm not saying I've ever expected it. I'm just saying I thought that was interesting. How you know? But you but you and Brenda, you know, you're like the you're like the power power couple, you know. So they could be go both ways. Yeah, I mean, the two of us. I mean, we get together in the morning and decide you know, where we're going to push society today because we're so powerful. <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of power, so th- this thing with uh, Bob Mueller, I mean, I, Jeff Flake's making all these uh, insinuations. And then, of course, it's always it's the usual suspects who come out and say, oh, he's about to fire Bob Mueller. And and so far, there's been really no evidence that President Trump is going to do that, regardless of the controversy over Whitaker and whether or not he should be there or not. So what what do you think is is happening here what or what do you think is going to happen here i you know uh, let me preface by saying i don't have any inside information i don't know i think mueller is trying to figure out how to wrap up this investigation and concede that there never was anything to the russian collusion stuff without looking like the whole thing was uh you know was pointless so um you know he's indicted some uh, Russian nationals, uh, even though they're not here and he can't, you know, he can't actually prosecute them. I mean, he, he is, he's filed these charges. Uh, I, I, I think we're going to see this thing wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to amount to much. Uh, I never thought there was Russian collusion. Uh, and I don't like, and this goes back 20 years. I don't really like um, special prosecutors or in, independent prosecutors, because prosecutors should target violations of the law, not people, right? Uh, there's a former Supreme Court justice named Robert Jackson, who was a great prosecutor before he went on the court, and he gave a great speech in the 50s about this, that, um, you know, you don't, if you're a prosecutor, you don't say, I'm going to get that person. Right. Because that's an abuse of prosecutorial authority. You you want to get violations of the law. Now, you may prioritize certain violations over others. You may decide that uh, gang violence is a particular threat, so you're going to prioritize that. But you don't go after a particular person, and it's especially true in a legal climate 
where if you, you know, if you devote enough resources to it and you investigate and wiretap and do all those things, you can find uh, some kind of violation of something against almost anybody, right? Or something that you can file charges against a person for, and then, you know, faced with either bankrupting themselves to defend it or pleading guilty to something, people very often plead guilty. And it's a real abuse. I mean, it just should not happen. And that's what these independent prosecutors tend to devolve into. So if you're going to have one, you want to have a very carefully limited jurisdiction and scope of it. And only when there's a real conflict of interest so that the Justice Department can't do it on its own. Okay, so because if it's if it's a, the Justice Department doing it, they have to balance uh, in uh, how they use their resources. So you can't, you know, s- spend enormous amounts of resources to try and get one person unless there's some extraordinary reason to do it because you have to use the resources for other things. But if you have an independent prosecutor, a special prosecutor, that's all they do, right? So, and they tend to have virtually unlimited funds. Right. So, you know, if a question begins, should we appoint an independent prosecutor to do X? The answer, I think, is going to be no about 99% of the time. That's my opinion. Yeah, interesting. And, and, and it's interesting how you talk about targeting a person uh, over targeting the law, and you're right about that. It's kind of, it kind of actually is similar to, uh, you know, when we are watching our kids playing soccer. Uh, you, like, like, for instance, when uh, lately when Natalie and Lily are playing soccer, the same thing with Katie is, is you never say, uh, get her. <laughs> you say, get the ball, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, sometimes that requires getting her within yeah, the rules, right? right. Yes, yes. But uh, the object is to score. The right. object is not, uh, you don't, you don't personalize the law. Now we all understand Elliot Ness got Al Capone, oh, right. right? Yeah. So there are going to be instances when, you know, when, when zealous police or prosecutors do that and properly do that. But by and large, no, you don't do that because, uh, you know, the, the, the law is designed to protect the public interest. It's not a tool for somebody to make their careers by getting, you know, X, getting right. this person. Right. And, um, and I really hope I don't, that, that the new attorney general, I think we need a big dose of that kind of integrity in the justice department now. And, um, you know, when um, after the Watergate uh, scandals, President Ford appointed Ed Levy, uh, who was like the um, head of the law school at the University of Chicago, where I subsequently matriculated, to be attorney general. And he did that because everybody respected Levy's independence and integrity and fidelity to the norms. And I think we need somebody like that now. We really do. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I I I I was looking at this whole thing uh, uh, early in the week. There, they, they, these these people don't sometimes know what they're talking about. And they're like, oh yeah, indictments are coming as early as tonight from Mueller, and like crickets the whole week long. So, I mean, I, I think people are sometimes are just kind of shooting in the dark on this thing. You know, Jamie, this is an example of a broader principle, which is that how you do things in a democracy matters as much and sometimes more as what you do. Okay. So this is one, you know, when I would 
talk about overreach by the courts, an example I would use is, you know, suppose the president got up in the morning and decided he was going to issue a decree to the effect that, and then you name it. Okay. We would all say, well, look, maybe we like what you want to do, but you don't have the authority to just issue decrees. That's not how the system works. And if we violate rules like that, we end up with much greater consequences than what, than the downside of whatever it is you're trying to prevent with your decree. Right. And we're devolving into a system now where we, we get too many rules by decree. And one of the reasons is that the Congress is not functioning very effectively. We can get into a whole new subject with that, but the point is, I mean, how you do things in a, in a, in a democracy really does matter. And we all need to pay a little bit more attention to that. Both sides have violated that rule, and then it's come back to bite them, right? Because it turns around and, and gets them and something that they don't like. So yeah. we, need a lot, we need a lot more dispassionate discussion of this kind of thing and agreement. And we have actually a window now because we have a divided Congress, and nobody knows who the president's going to be three years from now. Anybody who says they do. I think is talking through their hat, right? So now would be a good time to talk about the the rules, the norms, the way that we do things uh, in the federal government. Because um, I mean, both sides might be open to that because it's it's not clear how the decision is going to affect their short term interests, right? So maybe they'll actually focus on the long term benefits for the people. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Of course, we first have to see who's going to be the speaker, and uh, Nancy Pelosi is prosecuting that campaign very vigorously, and I expect that she's going to end up the speaker, and then maybe we can have some discussions. Well, maybe maybe the fact that she thanked Al Sharpton for saving America, uh, it will put her over the top. Well, um, she's going to have the overwhelming support, I'm going to. I'm going to avoid the temptation to follow down that line. <laughs> so you're going to have the overwhelming support of the Democratic caucus. And it, that's actually an interesting process. I went through that in the 90s when Newt Gingrich had the same issue. And the problem that the people who don't want her are going to have on the floor of the House is somebody has to be the speaker, right? And if it's not going to be, if you're, if it's not Nancy Pelosi, if she doesn't get a majority of those voting and nobody gets a majority, then you go to a second ballot and a third ballot and a fourth ballot and a fifth ballot. Right. So unless you have somebody else that the majority party really does like, and, and they can start getting some support as you go through those ballots, you just end up with a paralyzed house. Yeah. And after a while, the the protesters give in. There's no way. That may happen yeah, there's no way she's not going to be speaker. You know, there are there might be a couple of brave Democrats out there, but 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 they know that there will be hell to pay if they vote openly vote against. They might vote against her in committee or something, but but if they but 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 if they openly vote against her and she becomes speaker of the house, she will uh, dismantle whoever that person is. I mean, let's put it this way, and, 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 and I'll get to this, and you don't have to editorialize in this if you don't want to, but as much as she talks about how the, uh, 
as much as she talks about about the the power of the female in Congress and everything else, Nancy Pelosi really actually has done very little for other women in Congress. In fact, uh, the very fact that she is still wanting to run as Speaker of the House is an indicator that uh, that she really isn't. Uh, isn't there to actually help women advance in Congress or in the House. I mean, otherwise she would be stepping aside and promoting somebody else. But there isn't anybody else because she's managed mm-hmm. to bury everybody. I mean, look what she did to, to Wasserman Schultz. And, and there really is no woman in the House of any prominence besides her. And a lot of that is because of her. And and. And and, and, in my, and it's just my opinion, but I don't believe – you know I like the way the Republicans do it, frankly. And that is they tend to switch people out fairly rapidly. I, you, were in, you were in the House for a while there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they mm-hmm. tend to switch their leadership positions about every six years or so, right? Right. And in other words, the committee chairs have to change uh, every three – can't be a committee chairman for longer than three terms. Um, yeah, you know, these, this is another area where I'm hopeful we'll have some, some real discussions about what would be good for the institution. Look, I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to find an issue where I agree with Congresswoman Pelosi. Uh, her case though, is that she represents the views, the broad views of the democratic caucus, which is what they call the, the group of Democrats or in the Republicans, it's called a conference in the Democrats. It's called the caucus. Okay. Right. That she represents those views that she knows how to run the house. In other words, she understands the leadership position and that she, she will organize it in such a way as to advance their agenda yeah. better than anybody else who's likely out there. Now, you, you make an interesting point, which is why isn't somebody else out there who has a prominence that they would be able to make that claim? Um, you know, and, and you, you're saying, well, it's because of the way she's run the house. That may be part of it. But I also think you have to ask yourself, okay, you know, why haven't some of the other Democrats built a portfolio and built a, a reputation that would put them in a position to do this? I mean, it's just, this is one of the reasons that Congress is at a low ebb because, you know, we've not had enough of, of those kinds of people like Henry Hyde was when I was there. I mean, Henry never wanted to be the speaker, but he probably could have been the speaker if he'd wanted to be because he was that respected. And by the way, on both sides of the aisle, and we don't have as many of those lions around a lot of foxes and not enough lions in my view. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, and that's the thing. The Democratic Party, normally a lot of these people are the first ones, including Pelosi and others, are the first ones to talk about how racist Republicans are and, and, and how uh, divisive and how uh, too white they are and this and that. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is uh, we've come this far, heaven knows how long, and there isn't one a black House member or one other female House member or one Hispanic House member or whatever in, on the Democrat side who is of any – I mean, obviously, they're, 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 uh, Clyburn is, is, is raised as a possibility, but 
you know, he's not going to be Speaker of the House. And so, and so, and so that, so once again, the Democrats who keep wagging their fingers at everybody about not being diverse enough are still going to default to some old white lady. So, I mean, you know, it's, and I'm not, I'm not playing that kind of game in terms of old white man, old lady, but, but don't, don't lecture us about how, uh, the old white men are old. We're too old or too too white or whatever. When when Nancy Pelosi is the best they've got right now. So anyway. Well, Jamie, I'm gonna comment on this. And uh, one of the trends in modern life to attach a negative stereotype to people based on the color of their skin, which when I was either growing up or active in politics, people just didn't do. And the reason you didn't do it is that is a textbook definition of racism, right? I mean, it's to, is to attach, is, is, is to assume a negative uh, about somebody because of the color of their skin. Yes. I, I can't think of anything more poisonous. And whenever in our history, we've gone more down that road than we have in the past. It's one thing if you don't make progress in a particular time, right, towards towards detaching your opinion of people from, from the tone color of their skin. Okay. Sometimes, but when we go, when we go retrograde on it, it's always bad of all the, the unfair way of characterizing people. I mean, it'd be like saying, okay, I'm going to prefer tall people or something, right? I mean, that's bad, but this is, this is worse because it's, it's particularly divisive, it makes people particularly angry, and we're not only seeing it today, but people are weaponizing it. Right. I mean, they're really acting based on that. And you're right. I mean, you, when I when I read these articles, some of them in mainstream papers, like the you know the Wall Street, the uh, not the Wall Street, but the Times, you know, uh, white people this, white people that. It's wrong, and I people of across the political spectrum ought to just call it out. And I don't care what justification people give. People always have a justification for that sort of thing. It makes me angry. I mean, I'm picking up on a particular piece of your question or your comment, but really it makes me angry. And uh, it's, it's a sign again of how low the influencers or what other people call the elites in society have sunk, that they not only allow that, but they, but many do it themselves. And I just think it's wrong. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, and it's poisonous. I liked it better. I, I, I made a comment about this earlier in the week when I talked about, how awesome uh, tele- television shows like The Jeffersons were and All in the Family, uh, kind of back in the 70s, uh, and even for that matter, the 80s. I liked it when people of other races like uh, made fun of each other. It wasn't a negative stereotype. It was people laughing at each other's individual kinds of uh, – tendencies or what have you and i and i i always love that whole thing i liked it when george jefferson uh didn't like that one white dude who was married to the black woman and always made fun of him because he was so white you know he's like like ultra white and george jefferson always made fun of him and i thought that was funny you know because that was in a context of comedy and i liked it i liked it when eddie murphy would imitate like how white people talked, you know. I mean, it was it was really funny. I liked it when Chris Rock talked about how weird white people are when they kill people, like like they're weirder than black people are when black people kill people. Like he couldn't figure out why white people always like, uh, well, not always, but white people are the, uh, the only people that like kill people and then stick them in refrigerators and and eat them 
are white people. And I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, well, we can we can have a conversation about second order type things, like how yeah. sensitive we ought to be about certain yeah. things when it's done a certain way. But again, when, when you when you attach a stereotype that's that's negative and very angry based on the color of people's skin, you're going down a road you should not go down. No, I it know. dehumanizes people in the worst you know, in the worst kind of way, you know, Jamie, the org- the, the, the organizations that handle multi-ethnicity the best, because we can, we started off talking about sports. Okay. Well, sports teams often handle that extremely well. And the reason is because they have a common mission that unites people of different ethnicities. You know, they want to win. They're professionals and they want to win. And so, you, they handle another great organization that does that and most successful uh, in integrating and making diversity really work is the armed forces because they're mission oriented. So people really do get to the point where, where they, where they don't look at the outward appearances. They're joined together to accomplish something important. And what we see today in institutions like on in universities is they emphasize the differences instead of emphasizing the common missions and the common goals, um, which brings out people's humanity. I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's a way of, of dealing with people as individuals, appreciating their differences instead of dividing based on it. And it's, it's, um, we had a better, when, when you and I were younger and I'm older than you are, we had a better attitude towards this than they do today. And I blame the influencers for it. Yeah. I really do. I, I, um, well, I'll tell well, you, I don't know that we've resolved anything. My no, friend, no, I, we I, rarely, we I will rarely t- do. You know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to, after we're off the air here, and if you can pick me up on the app or on Facebook, I'm going to actually take this full circle, uh, because, uh, it, and back to baseball and 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 racial stuff, because I, one of the funniest videos I've ever seen, really, uh, like I love I love Chris Rock, for instance. Chris Rock is very funny to me. And so um, one of my favorite takes uh, from Chris Rock is on why black people don't like baseball anymore. <laughs> and, and it's the funniest thing, because he talks about how, you know, uh, Whenever, like, who wants to sit through, you know, an old timers game? Like, no, like the good old days and going back, and they show these guys, like, from like 1860 playing baseball. And it's like, and Chris Rock's like, black people don't like the good old days, you know? It's pretty, <laughs> and it's, it's pretty funny. I mean, it's really, it's really he great. Is very funny. Yeah. I mean, no question. He's very funny and comes from an era when, you know, comedy was better than it is today. That's another thing we could talk about. But, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I just people are so uptight. It's just they they can't. You know, I mean, uh, they, they you can't make a joke these. And I realize that people, you know, get all really angry when people are making uh, jokes about Trump. But see, the problem though is uh, they and then and the, and one of the best things I saw happen for, to our society was what happened when uh, Pete Davidson made that do- joke about Dan Crenshaw. Uh, regarding his eye patch, even though he had, had lost it in an IED blast, and then suddenly the next weekend, Dan Crenshaw, the newly elected congressman, Republican congressman, was on Saturday Night Live, 
And these guys were joking back and forth about this. And I thought, what a great development that was uh, in terms of letting society breathe a little bit instead of constantly like picking on each other. And, and I had stated that, that the Pete Davidson, Dan Crenshaw joke wasn't was offensive to me, but it didn't matter whether it was because I'm not Saturday Night Live's audience. And I try to tell people that sometimes you, you have to take into account who the audience is. And, and, and when you don't, um, when you're offended by a joke that Pete Davidson talks about, remember, too, he even makes fun of his dad who died on 9-11. So you have to take into account, A, the style of the comedian, and B, who his audience is. And so it's the same thing that happened to me at 97.1. The people who were upset about my tweet didn't even listen to my show. And yet they're the ones who ultimately had the power. And I said, after, after a while, it gets kind of ridiculous. You kind of got to take things into context. And then, and then but, but anyway, it came full circle with Dan Crenshaw coming on Saturday Night Live. And, and they were joking about each other. And he was going off on Davidson. And, and, and it was just, it was like, wow, isn't that great to watch, you know, people get along and, and have a sense of humor. I mean, that was, I thought it was a great development. I don't know whether you caught that or not. You know, Jamie, there's a difference which we don't recognize today between giving offense and taking offense. Okay. So in judging whether somebody's given offense, we need to apply an objective standard. The fact that somebody took offense doesn't mean that I gave offense. Right. The question is whether something I said or did would would under all circumstances have caused a reasonable person to be reasonably offended. Okay. And just because they took offense doesn't mean it was given. And I don't think you should apologize when somebody takes offense unless you gave it, unless you gave offense. Right. Okay. That's one thing. Then there's another piece where uh, we're in danger of opening up subject, which could lead to a whole other interview here, but there were, there's a piece in Quillette today, which is a really uh, good, um, you know, in-depth sort of rationalist blog that I read. And the, the guy talked about different kinds of cultures. And uh, give me a minute and I'll explain this. He said, okay, so like 150 years ago, at least in parts of the country and parts of the world, there was an honor culture where people very easily felt slighted. And when they did, they, they acted to remedy it themselves. It's a classic duel, right? You've insulted my honor. Why? Well, you know, you sat at the, on my left instead of on my right on the table. So we're going to fight a duel, right? And then the guy says, we moved to a dignity culture where everybody assumed the basic dignity of every human being because they have value. And this guy thinks that's the best kind of culture, and so do I. And in such a culture, people don't take offense as much because everybody understands that everybody has value, and including the person who maybe insulted you or you took a little slight from what he did. And so you overlook things. And this guy's theory is today we're moving into what he calls a victim culture where people take offense very easily, but instead of remedying it themselves, they then appeal to a higher authority. Right. So a microaggression on campus, you go running to the administration to punish the person who did it. Right. Or you go to, t to Twitter to, to form a Twitter mob to go after everybody. And he said, that's probably the worst kind of culture because, you know, you, you promote these mobs uh, over nothing. And it was really insightful. 
where 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 your status derives from somebody thinking of you as a victim, right? Right. And it's uh, it's it's not a good culture on which to base a healthy society. So maybe the next time. Yeah, we can talk more about this subject that I've opened up. Yeah, well, it, it all all goes back, in my opinion, to uh, thank you, helicopter parenting. Thank you for, you know, every little problem a kid has, the parent has to step in and 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 resolve it. So uh, that that's a but that's another yet yeah, that's another that's one of the theories. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the theories behind why we we are where we're at. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the issue right there. All right, buddy. Well, listen. Uh, Jim Talent, thank you so much. It's always a, a very interesting discussion with you, brother. It's always great to... Well, at least pieces of it, I hope, were interesting. I don't know how much your listeners are going to like the discussion of eyeglasses at the beginning, but... Uh, <laughs> they love it. They love it no matter... I don't, know how, I don't know how good a radio that was. No, on I... On a scale I, of 1 to 10, but... Hey, listen, as long as it's Almond and Talent, it's great radio. You know that. <laughs> Okay, man. I, talk, about, talk about narcissism. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll handle that side of the, 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 the uh, <laughs> occasion. All right, buddy. Good talking to you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Jim Talent. So I want to play this Critics Rock thing for you before I get to, uh, to uh, Doug Giles. He's on his way to deer hunt, so he's going to be an abbreviated. And then also, of course, I've got my Golden Oak Lending guys in, too. But this Chris Rock thing is funny. And, and and I think Chris Rock is a very funny comedian, and I love it when he gets into racial stuff, and I, and I love it when he makes fun of white people. I mean, I I like that, uh, and I I think it's pretty funny. And sometimes it has a little bit of an edge to it, which I appreciate. But I think it's funny, and I think I think uh, although white people really can't make fun of black people, although I come from a predominantly black school, I mean, we used to make fun of black people all the time. We used to give each other trouble all the time, but you really can't do that anymore because everybody's so ass hurt about everything. And, and, and also because uh, the, the society and our movements are all controlled by a bunch of white liberals who actually never went to school with black people. Because believe me, any, any, any white person who ever had to co-mingle and coexist with a black person, uh, believe me, is not among the white liberal elites out there. I guarantee you. These people all spent their whole life running around in their socks at their their houses, or and then went to all white schools. Believe me, I guarantee you. Go down the go down the list of every white liberal guiltist out there, and I guarantee you, there's not a black person in their past. I guarantee you. Anyway, that's another story. But this is Chris Rock, and this is this is on on uh, on. Uh, <laughs> Blacks in baseball and and why they actually don't necessarily have the appreciation for, for baseball that whites do. Endangered species, a black baseball fan. Why don't black people like baseball anymore? When I was growing up, we loved baseball. I followed the Mets. And in 1986, we won it all with Doc, Daryl, Mitchell, and my man Mookie. Back then, almost 20% of all major leaguers were African-Americans. And I could actually have conversations with other black people about baseball. Hey, what's up, man? You see the game last night? Yeah, it was great. Now if I say to a black person, did you see the Met game last night? They'll say, what the fuck's a Met? (laughs) Last year, the San Francisco Giants won it all without any black guys on the team. The closest thing to a person of color in the stands was their mascot, a biracial seal. If you want to see a seal club to death, 
Let them stroll through Brooklyn flashing those rings. <laughs> and the team the Giants had to beat to get there, the St. Louis Cardinals, had no black players either. None. How could you ever be in St. Louis and see no black people? And, and get this. Their crowds were more than 90% white. Like the Ferguson Police Department. Baseball isn't 20% black anymore. It's 8% and falling fast. That's an average of two guys per team. And those two probably listen to Blake Shelton to keep from getting their ass kicked by their teammates. Stillman is one of the oldest black schools in America. Almost every kid there is black. Except for these 36, the baseball team. One black kid and 35 white guys. And at Howard University, the Harvard of black colleges, they said fuck it and just canceled baseball altogether. Now they still have volleyball, tennis, even lacrosse. Yeah, lacrosse was black enough for Howard, but not baseball. Some people say it's money. Baseball is too expensive. But hey, Dominicans play it. This is a tiny third world island, and it dominates baseball. And the only equipment they have are twigs for bats, diapers for gloves, and Haitians for bases. It's not the money. You can't tell me black kids can't afford baseball when everybody's buying Jordans for $300. That's six gloves right there. It's the game. It's old-fashioned and stuck in the past. You got the white-haired white guy announces. You've got cheesy old organ music at the <laughs> games. I mean, where's the beach by Dre? And every team is building a bullshit fake antique stadium that's supposed to remind you of the good old days. You know, the good old days of Roof, DiMaggio, Emmett Till. <laughs> Guess what? Black people don't like to look back. Throwback Thursday is about as far back as black people like to go. But baseball can't get enough. Last month, they had a throwback baseball tournament where everybody got dressed up like it was the 1860s. <laughs> back when batting runners in meant putting down a slave rebellion. Had it down in Franklin, Tennessee. At a plantation. <laughs> then the next day, they all went back to their jobs as corrections officers and state senators. <laughs> so... That was pretty funny, man. I mean, it, it goes on for a little while, but uh, that's and, and that kind of humor is fun. Now there are people who are going to be like offended by oh the white hair that you you're making, but but that's funny. That's and, and you know what it, it, what everything he said is true. I mean, is is factually true. The conclusions he draws might not be true or or accurate. But what what he's saying is factually true. It was true. They did have that that uh, commemoration of the old timey baseball thing on a plantation, and it's like you know, yeah, it's pretty funny. Baseball wants everything to stay the way things used to be. The world has sped up, but the game is slower than ever. Last year, the Mets played a half inning with no hits, no hits, and it took more than twenty two minutes. That's a whole episode of Key and Peele. Where is A.A. Ron right now? <laughs> so, I mean, just, it goes on and on. And, he, and he's kind of making fun of black people, too, you know. Because, but, you know, talking about how, especially how he says, you know, well, don't, don't tell me blacks can't afford, uh, that baseball is too expensive when they're buying $300 Jordans. I mean, he's, so he's pretty ecumenical about the whole thing. And uh, it's pretty damn funny. I'll, you, can you? I don't know, Matt. You can maybe find the link. I'll, I can put the link up there, but I, I got to call Doug, and then I got to get uh, my boys from Golden Oak in here too. 
But anyway, uh, it I could go on uh, with this, but um, I'll just leave it at that because that was the that was one of the funniest parts. But but what about that? It's not funny. I mean, I it's just it, it just is. Uh, that's why I love Chris Rock, and and uh, and especially love. I wish I could find it. I can't find it anywhere when Chris Rock talks about how uh, how the difference between the way black people kill people and white people murder people. And he said, I don't understand why uh, why. You know, white people like they, they they will they will kill people and chop them up and stick them in refrigerators and boil their bodies on an on an oven. And he's like, at least black people just kill people for nothing, like five dollars. But but white people have to make a big production about the whole thing. And I mean, that's kind of the gist of it, at least. And uh, so he's pretty funny. And then he pointed out too that accurately that uh, that black people don't. Um, Black people don't don't like kill their parents, you know. Like you rare, it's rare that black people will. Uh, let me hold on a second. Here. Let me get my phone here. Hold on, damn it! Oh, here, I got to call Doug on his cell because he's out. He's running out to to deer hunt. Hunting's been great, by the way. I'm I'm hearing from my hunter friends because of some of the snow and uh, there was a, a the other day when we had that little sprinkling of snow. It was like the next day was like one of the best hunting days for for deer and then they were blasting ducks and geese all over the place yesterday so all right, here we go i'm gonna wild dub with my knowledge of deer hunting watch this Big dog. look at this guy traveling to Jamie. go get him a a, a seven point buck I can barely hear you, man. You I can, heard Buck. Can you, that was good enough. Yeah, it was, it was Buck. It wasn't the other one. Yeah, it was a seven-point. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. All How right, you buddy. doing, man? I'm doing great, man. So you're out uh, to, to get some, uh, to bag some deer, eh? Uh, we're a harvest, man. Backstrap fever. Yeah, I, you you We're must going be. to put the fan to Bambi. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, though. When you one thing, with, at least in the past, um, one thing that you've done before is uh, you actually hunt. You actually hunt with antique rifles. Is that correct, or do you deer hunt with a regular gun? Uh, you know, I like to rock an old school jamming, and uh, that's why we're buddies. And uh, my daughter is in tow on this trip and she's using a uh, Winchester model, uh, 1894 chambered for the 30, 30 round. And, uh, that one was built in 1941. I'm using a nine, three by six, two, uh, millimeter Mauser, uh, from our Teutonic brothers across the pond. And, uh, it's, it's a new gun, but it's styled after a 1920, uh, John Rickby, uh, stalking rifle. Wow. That is cool, man. I mean, so uh, and, and what's the difference? Is, does, does it make it harder to shoot, or just does it make it more fun to shoot? I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, well, uh, uh, again, you know, these guns and these rounds that were developed, uh, the little thirty thirty, uh, that that rifle's the gun that won the West. So uh, Regis is is definitely a romantic when it comes to <laughs> hunting. And uh, she just likes putting, you know, those kind of uh, guns in play again. A lot of people, you know, they just let them 
rust in the gun cabinet or in grand, uh, granddad's closet, and they you know get the one with the humongous scope and the plastic stock and the stainless steel barrel. Nothing wrong with that, but um, uh, you know we like it old school. Regis is not using the scope. Most people, to answer your question, uh, this gun is topless, so that you know no scope, iron sights. And so you have to, you know, you have to be more serious about shot placement. Not that people who use scopes or more modern arms aren't, but I mean, when you're when you don't have anything, no optic uh, backup, and it's just your eyeball, uh, it makes things interesting, especially in low light. Well, here's a guy, by the way, who is uh, well known. I don't know. Was it was it your uh, was it your first was it your first book the no it wasn't was it raising righteous and rowdy girls was that your first book No that was uh my first bestseller though Oh nice yeah it's a it's a great book I mean people uh and 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 um, the the female members of my audience and the and the guys all absolutely ate that book up uh and 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 love it as as they do all your stuff but still that was a that's a that's that's in in describing Regis. That's that's you know how to raise righteous and rowdy girls. That's for sure, buddy. Yeah, you gotta you gotta equip them to uh, sense BS, and uh, you know as you well know, both of them are black belts in uh, Gracie Valenti Jiu Jitsu, the first two female black belts in the world. And I keep telling parents all the time, it's like, oh, I want my daughter to do ballet. It's like that's cool. I want her to be a, a pianist. All right, I get it. Uh, but what happens when some zit faced <laughs> 16-year-old um, MS-13 gang member does some kind of goofy grab for her butt or breast. I want my daughter to be able to break his damn arm, and uh, and if he presses it, kill him if need be. Right on. And, 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 and you know what? And Hannah and Regis can still rock a dress. So, you know, it, 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 you didn't take anything from, from them on that. It's a, they, they can be feminine and strong, you know? So. Yeah, no, they, uh, they definitely... Uh, aren't uh these knuckle dragging rosie o'donnell yeah they're 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 very feminine but oh my god man i know i buddy. feel for the fool who uh who thinks uh he's gonna take advantage of them i love and that's it the whole i don't i think Reaches was on your show that's the whole you know uh thesis of her book how not to be a me too victim but a warrior chick yeah it's like girls you have got to and parents you have got to make certain your daughter knows how to rock in a hard place if she ever gets in these kind of predicaments. And uh, we don't believe in victimhood. We believe in, you know, uh, doling it out if somebody steps into a stupid zone and threatens us. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and that was great. I did talk to Regis about that, and uh, it absolutely is, is so true uh, that, that, you know, let's not get to the point where you have to like make some claim or do whatever, uh, take it into your hands and never be in that situation to begin with. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's a good one from, uh, Regis Giles. If you guys want to look that up as well. So how's it? Hey, did you see, uh, did, did you see Pamela Anderson? Uh, uh, she took the me too chicks to, to task. I think it was a week ago. And she goes, I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback on this, but girls, that was your fault. She said, my mother, always taught me if I'm uncomfortable, never get into a car elevator or a room with any other person, period. If they, if they make her uncomfortable and she threw it all on the girl's shoulders, man, if Harvey Weinstein or some guy, some Crisco sweating son of a, you know what invites you up to his, uh, his suite, the Chateau Marmont at three o'clock in the morning to do 
uh, dry runs of Scream 7, Rise of the Antichrist, don't go or bring a dog with, uh, bring a Rottweiler or a, or a bodyguard or somebody else. You know what's going to happen there. Yeah, I mean, that I, I read these stories uh, f- from some of these women and, and the circumstances that they immerse themselves in, I just, I can't, I can't even imagine my, my oldest daughter, who's uh, uh, about to turn uh, 28 in February, I, I can't imagine her ever agreeing t- under any circumstances to, to do what some of these women wound up doing and, and going to hotel rooms and me, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's, re- or, or, or the minute you see some dude in a bathrobe, it's like, how long do you, are you going to stick around? I mean, you know, <laughs> exactly, man. It's, it's done. If you, if for some, if for some reason, you know, the penny doesn't drop on you that you are in a vulnerable situation, you know, pretend to, uh, go to the bathroom or pretend to be demure and then pick up the freaking lamp and crack the skull, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> or tell him, or tell him, or tell him you want to have sex on a balcony. Get him, get him leaning up against the guardrail and shove his ass over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, listen, you gotta, you gotta fight, you gotta, you gotta be able to protect yourself, man. I, 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 uh, I love it. And and so, how's everything going with you? You, uh, by the way, Doug sent me a picture of his. Uh, the the Christmas cards are in, so I can get those at the yeah. store, right? Yeah, we're selling the crap out of them, man. I mean, they are literally <laughs> flying off the shelf. It's the Santa Trump uh, card, and uh, it's over at keepandbear.com. So keepandbear.com. And, Jamie, I don't know. Uh, I hate to jump off my Christmas card, but uh, my, my business partner and buddy who I'm going hunt with, Brandon Valerani, it's, uh, it's been burning up the, the – uh, the media, social media, international media, CNN, Fox, Rush Limbaugh, Univision, Telemundo. We've been doing a ton of press on it. The, the, the MAGA uh, Lego set of the wall. Have you seen the, no. the kids? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, you know, the left scene. So it's a Lego set. Uh, instead of it saying Lego, it says uh, MAGA. <laughs> and it's of uh, Trump in front of this, uh, this gray wall. And the left is just losing their damn mind over it. They're like, you're teaching children to hate, you know, during this Christmas time of joy and peace and Jesus and Santa Claus and everything. You guys put forth this wall. Well, it was it was uh, it was a beautiful idea that Brandon came up with. And it's crushing uh, the Internet and social media. Everybody's getting in a tizzy over it. That is awesome. I mean, as we're watching these guys climb over these tin fences, uh, yeah, I was sitting there. Where's it's like, where's all the women and children? All I see is a bunch of you know, eighteen to twenty-five year olds throwing rocks at you know our border agents and stuff. Yeah, this is amazing. It's and 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 by the way, um, now you guys like like Lego isn't gonna because it it is it looks exactly like a Lego set. It's called MAGA. It's right there at uh, Keep and Bear, and it is uh, <laughs> and it's twenty nine ninety five. But it's, <laughs> this is awesome, man. But do you think Lego is gonna uh, get on you guys about this or not? I don't know. I think it's great. Yeah, I uh, there's there's a lot of construction uh, Lego sets that yeah. aren't Legos that Lego like and, and things. And um, <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not worried about it. And plus, you know, plus it's uh, uh, again it's 
it's parody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, you know, there is copyright. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's some uh, elasticity to the copyright uh, regulations if it's a joke. And this is this is the thing that's so funny about this man is that the left, like, you know, you're doing this, you're teaching children to hate racism, and uh, it's like. It's a novelty gift for forty to sixty year old Trump supporters. That's who's <laughs> buying it. Yeah, I know. It's the boringest toy in the world. It's a wall. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, well, I finished that in two seconds. What's next? <laughs> yeah, right. But here's what's funny. I was on, I was I was talking uh, uh, to this uh, lady in Univision, and she goes, "What? What do you? Why do you in your description call call the people a mob?" You know, you say a mob is coming up through Mexico, and I go, "Well, looks like <laughs> looks like a mob." Yeah. And I go, "Here's the interesting thing on uh, NBC, I believe, is the parent company of Univision." So, uh, hold on, I'm about to get in a car wreck here. So, uh, uh, <laughs> NBC is the parent company of Univision, I believe. Either that or Telemundo, I get them both confused. But on NBC News uh, on Tuesday, they reported that the the LGBTQ or QT or however you uh, pronounce it, uh, they were fleeing from that, that that group of desert wanderers for their life because they were getting beat up. They were getting threatened uh, with rape and murder. And so you got a bunch of trans people. You got a bunch of gays, not Rush Limbaugh, not Jamie Allman, not Sean Hannity, not Doug Giles. You have a bunch of gays and trans saying the people in that freaking crowd are insane and they're trying to kill us. Wow. Wow. So I told that, of course, that didn't make the interview uh, <laughs> that I did. <laughs> I, I'm sure it didn't. Well, man, listen, but, I, I, this is, I, have fun hunting, happy hunting. I hope I see some, some pics on the side or something, but uh, have, have a good time. All right, brother. And tell Regis and your buddy thank you, and then we'll, and I'll make sure everybody gets to uh, keep and bear to get those Christmas cards as well as that mega set. But the Christmas cards are great, man. I, I'm 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 buying a ton of them. So thanks, man. Yeah, you bet, Jamie. Stay right. Okay, have fun. You too. Have a great time. That's uh, Doug Giles. He's he's funny as all get up. Yep. Yes, indeed. Happy birthday, Natalie. Mwah! Little baby Natalie. Born five and a half weeks early today. 2007. She wasn't due until Christmas. So... We named her Natalie anyway, which of course is Christmas, as a permanent record of her impatience. <laughs> what a lovely girl. I'm so proud of her and love her so much. And she's such a strong, funny one. She's righteous and rowdy. Too, so I love her. Happy birthday, Natalie. 
It's up on Facebook in a little bit. Dustin from Golden Oak Lending. How you doing, brother? Good, Jamie. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you, man. Uh, you have kids? I do. How many? We have uh, three girls here, and we had one that passed away, but we had four total girls. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God love her. And love, love them all. And, and uh, so, yeah, girls are great, aren't they? They are. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, everybody always says, do you want to try for another boy? And ever, after everyone, you wanted a boy, you want a boy. I love my girls. Yeah. They listen to me. They, <laughs> we, they do what we want. They play around. There's a lot of, to them. I, I, you really I'm very, very happy, very blessed with oh, the children yeah. I have. Very, very blessed. No doubt about it. I have three girls and two boys. And, uh, and just... You know, everybody, I love, everybody's different. Everybody's, you know, just uh, their own little little person. But uh, but there's there's just absolutely nothing better. So it's, uh, but uh, congratulations on that. And I'm sorry about the, your daughter that passed away, my friend. Yeah. I didn't know know that. but Yeah, I just, uh, I like to talk about it. We like to keep it fresh oh, good. all the time. She's, uh, she'd be a little over three right now. And we keep her in our minds and our thoughts all the time. We talk about it with the girls. Everybody, everybody, my family's aware of it. We talk about it a lot. It's, oh, it's nice. not a sad thing. We try to make it as happy as we can. We were able to hold her for a period of time, loved on her. Uh, a lot of good things. So, oh, good, yeah. good. Yeah, I know. I know. It's uh, it's such a hard thing to go through, but uh, but when you look at it from your perspective and and your uh, and your uh, and and the blessing that she is and and, and was mm-hmm. and uh, and the gift that she is and was. Uh, you know, it, yeah. then it's then it makes it easier, but it also reminds people of the uh, of the wonderment of life in general. It know? is, it is. And, you know, we we were blessed. She could have not even made it to where we didn't have any time with her. So for us, we look at it on a, from a different perspective. Of course, it's tough. There's plenty of tough times and tough days, and, and we get sure. that. But there's also great things that we can remember back on, and our girls talk about. And it's it's a great. It's still it was a good thing that we had the time with her that we did. What's your name? Her name's Caitlin. Caitlin. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and, and so she, uh, and, and, and for the girls uh, even, and for all of you, really it's interesting how a death like that can actually at the same time be life-affirming. It, it was. The kids actually look at it at this point that she's already there waiting for us. So right. if something is happening, they're like, oh, you know, we have Caitlin there waiting for us. And they talk about her all the time. They still remember her. They have things that... They did with her. They had blankets they gave to her when she was born, and oh, so they still nice. have those. And it's, it's, it is. It, there's things that are still very good that we can look back on. Yeah. Well, uh, again, sorry for your loss, but but thankful uh, that you all have uh, turned it into a gain on so many yeah. in so many respects. So uh, that's that's a beautiful thing. And the, and and Dustin, that's the kind of people that work at Golden Oak Lending. They're real people. They're people who have. Uh, Experience life, experience death, experience what you experience, uh, know what your neighborhood is like. The, they're local, they're here, they're human beings. And so when you dial 314-567-GOLD, you're talking to another human being just like you that understands all your problems, all your lives, and all your challenges and struggles and everything else. And uh, Golden Oak Lending is just a, a, a fabulous operation, top to bottom, uh, and the top guys all were once uh, the just working normally, like as 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 people, as as mortgage lenders and everything else, yeah. and then wound up growing uh, to to own the company, and so they also treat their employees really well, and you know how that translates. It translates to to all of you, and now of course the big deal is the fact that uh, you go ahead and refi with Golden Oak Lending right now, and for two months, you're not paying a mortgage payment. You're not making a payment till next year. 
That's awesome. It's great. It's great. And that, you know, you mentioned that, and I, I like to bring that up because you mention it every week, but I don't think people understand how important it is that we understand their situation and we were in their position before at some point in our lives. So when we're doing something for them, a refinance or a purchase, we've been there. We understand their feelings. So it's not just a transaction. It's a relationship that we want to build with them and let them understand that we understand where they're at and we're going to do the best that we can to put them in the best financial situation possible. Yeah. And that's, they do care and it's different from every other place I've ever been at. Yeah. Well, I I can tell because when I was there, I mean, I I only visited one time uh, and should probably go back, but I, I visited one time and James and Sean, uh, the owners, uh, introduced me to everybody, and, and it, I definitely picked up on that, that there's, a, there's an essence uh, to Golden Oak Landing that is uh, not solely transactional. Uh, and, and what happens then is that somebody goes and refis with you guys, and then when it comes time to do it again, they're back because they're part of the family. Yeah, we retain a lot of clients because they understand how – we took care of them in the first place, and they know we're going to take care of them again and again whenever they have that need. Yeah, and folks, for you out there in Radio Free Almond Land, if you uh, go ahead and give them a call, 314-567-GOLD. Also, they have uh, 24-hour service for you at goldenoaklending.com. I mean, you're not going to get a full refi at 2 in the morning, but you're going to get somebody there to answer your questions if something occurs to you or you need something from them, and, and they'll take care of business for you that way. But for the Radio Free Almond crowd, if you go there and get a mortgage checkup, you're going to get a free appraisal if you mention Radio Free Almond, right? Yeah, get okay, a free perfect. appraisal, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's an important consideration when, when, when dealing with that. Now, the rates right now are in the threes, correct? You still can get rates in the threes. We have programs still with rates in the threes. Even with all this other interest rate rising, mar- interest rate rising market, we're still able to give you a program in the threes. Wow. That's good. It I is. Mean, well, because you guys don't really, I mean, ultimately, we, people talk about the, the rising of the rates and the raising of the rates, uh, but you guys live in your own world. I mean, you, you, can, you can make anything happen. I mean, you can't go into the ones, obviously, but, but, you, but, but, but what I'm saying is you, 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 can, you can adjust things and make things work. Well, yeah, we have the relationships with the investors as well as just with the amount of loans that we do close on a monthly basis. We can do things that other places just can't. Yeah. And one of the good things about it, too, folks, is that they're not going to uh, they're not they're not going to go ahead and do something for you that they don't think is proper for you. Uh, and there are there are a lot of people out there who will just to just to do it and get your business. They don't really necessarily care whether or not it's actually good for you in the long run. Uh, but Golden Oak will also be honest with you uh, in assessing your situation. And, and they might even say, hey, if you come back in six months, this might work better for you and be a better draw for you. So, so you, get, you have that credibility issue with Golden Oak, and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you uh, what they think is best for you, and they'll only do what is best for you. Yeah, that is absolutely. They do that with everybody. And even with me, I know there's plenty of times I'll have a client that we can't do right now, and I'll say, listen, I'm going to put you on a list. Every three months or so, I'll just follow up with you, and if this is the time we can make it right for you, that's when we'll get it done. And that way, they don't even have to worry about it. It's just me calling them every so often. Right. And then the... And the the process sometimes of a refi is tough because uh, people, you know, you're, you're having to get all your financials, everything in front of people, everything else. And then there are people, uh, the less professional ones out there, who will always act like uh, there are some people in Chicago who have to make this decision. And, and it makes you feel really vulnerable and small and everything else. Golden Oak Lending, the underwriters that ultimately help grease the wheels for everything are in-house your underwriters are 
right next door in another office. I mean, you, they're there. You can walk yeah. to them. I walk down a flight of steps, and they're all right there in their offices. Right. right, there. right. In fact, we have a purchase going on right now. Had a question. I didn't have to send something to a different city or anything. I literally walked it downstairs. They said, yeah, that's perfect. Send it in the file. We'll get it ready to close. Right. Simple as that. Right. And, and that's, that's one of the things, too, is sometimes having the underwriters is an out for some people. Having the underwriters in some other city, it's kind of an out from, oh, you know, the underwriters. You know, you know, but, but really, uh, that, that, that almost uh, is for Golden Oak, uh, the feather in their cap, having the underwriters there is uh, they have – no excuses, basically. <laughs> Everybody is there working, and, if, and, if, and obviously if they can't do something for you, they'll tell you. But for the most part, it just makes things work better because you, you, you guys know everybody and you, you're, you're with each other every day. Yeah, yeah, we are. Fantastic. Uh, GoldenOakLending.com is the, is the website, so make sure you go there if you need any kind of help or just kind of a primer on what's going on. And the phone number is 314-567-GOLD, and uh, you can get a hold of Dustin. You can ask for him by name if you want to, but you have a ton of other people who will take care of you. Yeah. I'm the only Dustin there, so you'll get it. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. All right. Well, listen, buddy. Uh, again, thank you for sharing your personal story with us. Sorry, uh, but I be- know this was about Golden Oak, but I appreciate you I giving me lo- the time well, to talk about that. Well, I like that. Well, you know, because it dovetailed a little bit into, into – but, but it also – uh, again, it's just another story to be told about Golden Oak Lending, and uh, so it's it's beautiful because uh, the people there are all uh, regular human beings. They just have a little more knowledge about refine than maybe you do. That's all. That, you know, <laughs> a, and and they make it happen for you, and uh, will change your life. And remember, again, two months, no mortgage payment. That's great. Yeah. Especially around now, around holidays, two months, no life payments. gets yeah. pretty expensive. It does, you know. So, <laughs> so this is gonna right. gonna help you guys out. Well, Dustin, good to see you, buddy. Thanks again, Jamie. Take care, and uh, our love to your family, and God bless Caitlin. All right, buddy. See you later. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, story. I always, I'm always amazed by people who have been through that and how strong uh, they are out of it. It's just, it's, it's so humbling and and so beautiful uh, how people can turn that into a um, a positive. So I've been through, I had some dear friends, the Mulvihills, Molly and Tom, and they lost uh, Oliver, neuroblastoma, uh, 1997, I believe. I, mean, I want to get the date right, but I was there um, when he passed away, and it was... Uh, it was a, a, alternately a uh, hugely tragic event, but it was also a life-changing event when little Oliver passed away. And, and it was uh, because it, it was um, – you really actually did, I mean, honestly feel the presence of God. And in fact, Oliver said, hello, Jesus. Before he passed away, it was really amazing. I, I, know, I know they don't mind me sharing the story. I, I hate to do it like in two minutes, but it's a longer story than that, but um, much more involved uh, story than that. But uh, Tom and Molly and the rest of their family, these are the, the strongest people I know, and, uh, and, and gave us the gift of, of sharing that experience with them uh, and 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 sharing Oliver's life with us, and so it, it's a really, uh, it's a it's it's an it's a thing that really will change your life and 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 um, and reaffirm 
your belief in God as well as your belief in life. So it's a fantastic way to end the week to talk about such beautiful things. I'll tell you that. So, all right, people, have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend. And um, happy birthday to Natalie. 11 years old, beautiful girl, a gem. You know, it's interesting, this this uh, this song, Happy Birthday, though, is perfect because it's uh, it's not only Happy Birthday, uh, but it's actually a, a Christmas song. It's actually, a, it's actually a story about the birth of Jesus. You might not know that. But Jesus is us, so it's perfect for us. So Happy Birthday. Oh, no, it's actually Martin Luther King's birthday. I don't know. It's everybody's birthday. (laughs) Well, you know what? Tell you the truth. Martin Luther King was another example of Jesus is in all of us, so. I don't know. Happy birthday, everybody. Good morning, everybody. RadioFreeAlman.com. Have a good one. But